Welcome to episode 44 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 13th, 2017. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how you living, sir? Hello, Brad. It's been a very busy week for me, um, and of course, a very exhausting week with all of the shit that's been happening in the United States of America. But other than that, I am uh, I'm all right. I am safe at the moment. I am relatively healthy. I am alive, and I am here podcasting with you. So, here's to episode forty-four. Absolutely. I'm happy to hear all of those things, and we are about to get into those issues in a slightly greater amount of detail in just a second. Um, But before we do, let's get the opening stuff out of the way. Uh, On today's show, we are going to be discussing... Boy, I fucked this up. I had a whole little script planned, and I did not even fill these notes out for myself. (laughs) I apologize, folks. We're going to skip this. We're going to try that again next week. As regular listeners will know, we usually get the ball rolling with chaos, as you've just seen. Also, we get it rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related. And, as always, just a reminder, for those folks who don't want to hear about our random hijinks, our rants, and our recommendations, we do put timestamps in the show notes so you can jump ahead and skip it. But why would you want to? Corey, uh, what do you got for the banter this week, sir? Uh, I have been so, so busy this week. Um, I'm sure it will come as a surprise to no one, including you uh, and anybody who has ever listened to any show that we have ever done, that I spent a lot of time this week photographing people and photographing parkour, to be specific, which is something I feel like I do all the time. But it was like cranked up. It was like cranked up to like 12 out of 10 this week. Um, So basically, there is a pretty famous parkour athlete named Bob Reese who has like 43,000 followers on Instagram and he does like clinics all over the country and he um he's just he's just a really really solid like master class athlete and he's from the United States so he's he travels around the states he's from South Carolina I believe and last week um I guess I can say last week now because it's Sunday. Um, He was in New Orleans to do a clinic. There's a parkour and Ninja Warrior and calisthenics gym here called the NOLA Muscle Park, which I photograph at um, every once in a while. I freaking hate taking pictures at the gym because the lighting is terrible for my camera, and usually it's just, like, not good news, but I do what I can. And he came in town and did a clinic, like a big uh, workshop that was about three or four hours long. And... I went and I photographed his workshop and he was actually staying while he was in town. He came in town with his girlfriend and he was staying with uh, one of the guys who I photograph really regularly, uh, Peyton, who lives across the lake in in New Orleans. Um, So basically Peyton kind of wanted to take him around town and do, you know, a bunch of parkour outside rather than just, you know, him come into town, do the clinic and leave. Um, And... And so basically that's what we did. So I photographed the clinic on Tuesday night. I photographed them doing the open gym on Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday afternoon, we went to uh, New Orleans 
uh, like proper like downtown New Orleans and I photographed some stuff in New Orleans and then it started raining so we went and got lunch and then they went to an abandoned there's this like abandoned power plant on one side of town that's been abandoned for like several years and it's kind of like a a hot spot for like graffiti artists and for like homeless people and just for like explorers to go to. And it's definitely like one of those situations where like you're not supposed to go there and it's kind of like chained up, but there's like graffiti all over the building and there's like all the windows are broken and it's just like a classic, like big industrial uh, abandoned building. And they went there, but I was too chicken to go in because like my general uh, safety and like not getting arrested is a little more important than taking pictures. So I actually gave Bob's girlfriend, Ashley, kind of like a tour on the town and took her out that afternoon while they went and explored the power plant. And then on Thursday, we went to Baton Rouge, which is about an hour and a half away. So drove, got up and drove out to Baton Rouge, uh, photographed them all day. And then um, one thing that Bob is kind of like, I guess like I thought he was joking at first, but he's actually like pretty serious about it, is that he wants to do like, like an a make like an underwear modeling calendar for himself. But he's very silly, so this is like kind of a joke. Um, but he's like serious about making the calendar. So when I like like of himself, yeah, or mean, yeah, like once, or he just wants to make one of guys that he can look at for his private use. Like, no, what like you, like, what <laughs> like he wants like twelve pictures of himself to make a calendar to like sell it i guess oh okay 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 gotcha gotcha all right yeah yeah so i told him i was like hey i'm gonna be honest with you like i will be your private like underwear modeling photographer and at any point this week if you want that because i know your your girlfriend told me you're serious about it and i'm serious about it and like we can make this happen so we were downtown in baton rouge and the guys wanted to go eat and we were on our way to go eat somewhere and we passed some some fountains like some of those fountains in like a town square that like shoot directly out of the ground um and like bob is a total goofball so he like was all about like playing in the fountains and everything which i was excited about because every time i see fountains i try to get the guys to play around in them so i can take pictures and no one ever wants to but bob is like all for it so can i can i, can I just pause you for a second Corey? yeah yeah you know i i, I this is so weird to me because I hear you talking about this, and, like, I totally get what you do. Like, I've seen your pictures. Your pictures are awesome and stuff. But, like, when you say stuff like that, it makes you sound like a dirty old man who's, like, trying to get people to do things and catch them on <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get the guys to play in the fountain and, and touch each other so I can take pictures of them. I mean, not it touch sound, each other. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds weird a little bit. I mean, like, when you're taking pictures of these dudes... I mean, like, what's going through your head, man? Like, I guess, I guess, I would like to know the inner mental workings of Corey Motley when you're when you're doing this one, because like, I kind of equate it to, and maybe I'm totally off base on this. I could be totally wrong, but it seems to me like when you're taking pictures of like these like ripped buff guys, that's like the equivalent of me like going to the beach and like taking pictures of like bikini babes. Is kind of what I think of. Is that how it works for you, or like, what is? I mean, tell me more about this process, dude. Well, I mean, it depends on you have to set like an objective like i i have to have an objective that i can mutually agree upon with the people i'm photographing and so like, you need consent yeah yeah i mean i'm not <laughs> i mean the difference between like going to the beach and shooting like beach babes is that like if you had a bunch of friends that were women who were happy to frolic on the beach and know that you were taking pictures of them like, that's one thing, but it's not like the parkour dudes. It's not like I'm just following them around from the bushes and photographing them. And, like, I don't know them. I mean, that like... That would be awesome, though, by the way. That would be kind of... Oh, my God. That would not be awesome. That would be gross. That would be kind of uh, awesome. But, I mean, like, 
you know, we, I, I go out with these guys regularly. Like they invite me to go out and photograph them because I, I mean, I don't charge them money to take pictures. Like that's probably something I should do, but I just hang out with them. I'm happy to photograph them and sort of like celebrate the, like their like athleticism and, uh, and you know, their athletic abilities and all that stuff. And I mean, of course it's kind of like an added bonus that I am gay and they are hot and they all have like nice bodies <laughs> and usually practice with their shirts off. But I mean, I photograph people. It's not like I'm like sexually attracted to every single person I want to photograph. I mean, of course they're all like objectively good looking, but like even like Bob Reese, like he like very, he, he was like so over the moon to like strip down to his underwear, play in these fountains for me. And like, honestly, I don't really think Bob Reese is that attractive. Like I had a hell of a time. Like it was so much fun, like photographing him in the fountains and like jumping around and doing flips and doing handstands and like doing all this really silly stuff. And it was really delightful, but like, I'm not going to like take these pictures and like masturbate to them. Like, cause oh, I don't I knew think you're going to say that. Yeah. I, I just like, that's not, that's not something I would do. Like, cause I, I don't find Bob Reese like sexually attractive. I mean, and that's pretty much the case for most of the guys. Like I'm happy that they're like attractive and that they have like nice bodies and everything. But like, I like that, that there's just like a line, there's a line there, a line of professionalism where I don't have like, I, I don't have, like, a room in the apartment where you open the door and it's, like, you know how, like, serial killers have, like, all of their, like, newspaper clippings everywhere? Like, I don't have, like, pictures of all these dudes, like, all over the walls or anything. Like, I mean, because they they, they know I'm photographing them. And anytime I even ask them to do anything remotely, um, I don't even know the right word here. Like, I'm going to say scandalous, but not even scandalous. Like, I, I will always ask them. Like, there's a dude named Jordan who I photographed a few times and he's got like an amazing body and you know i photograph him just like in a very like i don't know like senior pictures e you know maybe like <laughs> catalog e way where he's not necessarily like doing anything but he's just like posing and every time i photograph somebody like that i always say like at any point if you don't want me to take pictures of you or if you're uncomfortable or if i ask you to do something you don't want to do like please tell me because i don't want to be here just like sticking a camera in your face and you feeling weird like i don't want that to be the case here so it's not like I'm just, you know, snapping away, you know, you know, 2000 pictures uh, every day of of them, you know, running around with their shirts off. Like, it's not really what it's about. It's more about, you know, because I did parkour for years. So I understand the, the movements and I understand the difficulty of what it is. And it's more about celebrating, you know, what they can do in their athleticism. But of course, it's nice because they're all hot dudes, but it's not like. It's, I, I know what you're thinking, but it's not like that. And I don't know <laughs> if anything like I just that, I said, <laughs> I don't know if anything I just said is like, is like really makes you think that I'm being sincere about my professionalism, but that I, I'm trying to be as sincere as I possibly can. No, absolutely, man. And I totally don't mean to pick on you at all. I was, just, I was very curious about this because, you know, you, you photograph like all the time, like it's, you spend a lot of time on and it's a thing you really enjoy. And I just, I, I wanted to get inside that mental that mental process, because we talk about it all the time on the show and I've known you for a while. So I know you do this for a long time, but we haven't really discussed like, like why or what you think or like how you approach it or anything like, you know, we've kind of just talked about you went and took photos and, you know, you're almost arrested hijinks and, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But like we didn't really like get inside the mind of the artist. You know, I wanted to kind of pick that apart a little bit. So hopefully you don't feel like I, I was picking on you because that wasn't the intention at all. I just wanted to know more about this. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I don't really feel like you're picking on me because I feel like it's a fair assessment to make. I mean, it's kind of like when you have like, 
like celebrity photographers or famous photographers. And, you know, it's like anytime they do a photo shoot with like, like a very like hot quote unquote, like female celebrity, you know, it's always like, oh, they do the pictures like where they're naked or they don't have a bra on or something. And it's like, I, I feel like, I don't know, like, it it feels kind of like that, but I'm trying to remain professional about the whole situation. Um, but it really depends on if the people want to be photographed and if the people, because if, like, I, I'm going to assume that at this point, since I've been here for, you know, five months or so, and I pretty much go out and photograph these guys, like, I don't know, like once a week or once every two weeks or something like that, um, you know, they, they pretty much like know what they're in for. Like they've seen my pictures, they've seen what I can do. They know, you know, what kind of pictures I like to take. And, and some of them, I mean, you get some of these guys who, who just love, love the camera. Like they love posing. They, they love, you know, they're kind of like, like Tumblr fuck boys. Like they really like to have their pictures taken. And so like that <laughs> well, makes it I, easy. I, I'm not sure that I have a definition for Tumblr <laughs> fuck boy. Maybe you need to explain that one a little bit, Corey. Well, it's just like, you know, it's just like dudes, like pretty, pretty guys who like to have their pictures taken and who like, aren't afraid to pose for the camera. Like that's very much how most of these guys are like, I mean, like, Peyton, like, he, I think at first he was a little bit put off by, like, the fact that I was, like, a gay man hanging around taking pictures of them. But I feel like at this point, I don't know if he would deny this or not. He probably doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he would deny this point or not. But I feel like he, he he's really come around to, like, enjoying the attention that I give him. Because, like, he follows me on Twitter and I can just, like, tell that he enjoys whenever I, like, post, like, silly pictures of him and, and say stuff. And he'll, like, pose for me whenever I'm taking pictures. And he's just, like, a goofball. But it's never anything, like, pornographic or sexual. It's not like I'm taking, like, nude photos of these guys. But uh, I don't They just, they, at this point, they all know what I'm about. And they all know sort of, like, what they feel comfortable doing. And it's not like I go up to them every week and I'm, like oh, do you want to do, like, some shirtless pictures this week? Do you want to play in fountains today? <laughs> like, it's not like that. I mean, I just, it's just sort of the way things unfold whenever I'm out practicing with them. And, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know how I can possibly convey this more. All I can say about Bob Reese, though, is that he was very, very, very excited to frolic around in front of me with his boxer briefs on in fountains, soaking wet to take pictures, and... I didn't have to nudge him at all to get him to do any of that. He very much had this objective in mind of what he wanted. And I happened to be the right kind of person on hand to photograph it. And I feel like in a situation like that, it sort of like liberates me as like a gay male photographer because like if you handed, cause all the other guys in the parkour group, I mean, as far as I know, they're all like 100% straight dudes. And I, and they're, most of them are photographers too. Like they all take really good pictures. I don't feel like my skill level is anywhere above any of the other guys. Um, but I just happen to take more photos than they do. But I feel like if like, Bob had been like, oh, Peyton, will you take pictures of me? Or, oh, John or Levi, will you take pictures of me, like, soaking wet in these fountains in my underwear? I feel like they might not have gotten the same result as I did because, like, maybe I have more of an eye for, like, the male body or, like, beauty or the way I look at men. Do, do you know what I mean? Do, am I getting oh, somewhere yeah, totally. here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Okay. Absolutely. So, I so, mean... 
basically, long story short, that's what I was doing all week. And then I photographed a completely different thing yesterday. Uh, there's this thing called like the National Ninja League. And it sounds kind of silly, but it's like, uh, it's kind of like for... Well, it like, sounds kind of awesome. I mean, yeah, it is pretty awesome. It's kind of like like a mini like American Ninja Warrior thing. And like the Nola Muscle Park here, they train specifically. They have like setups in the gym specifically to mimic like American Ninja Warrior stuff. And they had a, some kind of like qualifier for the National Ninja League thing yesterday. And I went and photographed that and, um, and it was pretty cool. I was kind of mad cause I would have liked to have gotten paid for it. Like, I feel like it's probably like the last thing I'm going to photograph for the guys at Nola Muscle Park, unless they pay me or unless I just want to be there and photograph things. But I, I feel like I got some pretty good pictures and I'm probably going to edit them after the show because that's what I always do every Sunday. I edit pictures while I listen back to the show for edits. Um, so I have spent a very lot, lots and lots of time photographing people this week and that's pretty much it. Um, have I covered enough bases and answered enough of your creepy questions, Brad? What? What creepy questions? <laughs> what? Those are honest. Those are honest questions, bro. I we you know we got to celebrate this thing that you do. It's a big part of your life, and uh, you know we spend a lot of time together on this podcast. I felt kind of weird not knowing more about it, so I'm glad that I asked. That was some interesting, interesting conversational bits. Next well, time I near, I'm near I'm near Fountain, I'm going to call you right up, bro. Be like, hey, Corey, frolicking, frolicking going on here, Corey. Come get me. <laughs> oh my god no that's not all right no let's not do that let's, let's agree to not do that <laughs> okay okay oh, i talked enough yeah. about stupid bullshit so i feel like you have probably some more important things to say than i do in this week's banter segment well i don't know about important but i mean i got some stuff to say or, uh, let I me just have... say we're going to be switching gears pretty drastically here i think yeah. <laughs> yeah this is a pretty big pretty big uh gear switch um i'm not gonna get all fucking angry. I don't want this to be like, you know, the kind of rant that you would catch on YouTube or something. But it's been a really hard week in America. Um, we try to not be too political on this show. At first, I had a little bit of a struggle with that because um, although I don't really see myself as a very political person, I do see myself as a very moral person. And I do see myself as a very caring and conscientious person and so when all of this stuff was going on in america with trump and the the election and everything that was happening it was really hard to not talk about a lot of that stuff on the show but uh i did hear from many people who said that they look to this show and not just this show but you know many other shows like their their media tv games other podcasts that they listen to as kind of an escape when they need a time out from that stuff and i i totally get that like i get that I do it myself. I mean, I listen to, to game podcasts where they don't talk about political stuff. I watch TV where it's not political. So despite how someone may feel about the real world and about things going on, everybody needs a timeout once in a while. And so I'm glad that we can provide that on this show uh, or at Game Critics or, you know, through either of our Twitter feeds um, when we're not talking about this kind of stuff. But this has been a really, really hard week uh, for me Personally, I'm sure for many people across uh, America and even even the world, even, I mean, we started the week with the threat of nuclear holocaust. Like that's not even hyperbole. Like we we saw Donald Trump getting into this ridiculous fucking like Twitter baiting and trying to start shit with North Korea, who you know they're not well known for being. Um, very logical people over there. I mean, I, you know, why would you want to dangle something in front of that guy and have him try to snap at it? Um, so, 
you know, for a day or two, it really felt like they were going to North Korea was going to launch a nuke our way. And I don't know what their capability is. I don't know if it's big talk. Can they really do it? Can they not do it? Would it be a small bomb? Would it be a big bomb? I don't know. I mean, who knows? But the fact is that the, the fact that nukes are even in the discussion at all is fucking chilling. It is so chilling. So that really stressed me the fuck out. Um, and then as the week went on, we kind of forgot about nuclear bombs. And God, how crazy does the world have to be where something else comes along to make you forget about nuclear bombs, right? Because we had fucking like Nazis and people flying the stars and bars and white supremacists demonstrating all across America. Started in, um, was it West Virginia? I think it was. And I was, I was so shocked. I got on Twitter today. I had been grocery shopping, just puttering around the house. I get on Twitter there's fucking Nazis protesting in fucking Seattle, like in my own hometown, like 20 minutes away from where I was. I had no idea until I got on Twitter and I'm like, oh my fucking God. I had no idea this thing was going on. I, I looked at some videos. People were getting tear gassed. The cops were shoving people. People were getting pepper sprayed all over the place. And it was mostly the protesters of the protest. So like it wasn't the white supremacist fuckheads that were getting sprayed. It was the people who were against the white supremacists. So that's a whole other discussion about Seattle PD. Um, not going to get into that right now. And I don't want to go on about this forever and ever and ever. Um, but I just wanted to just take a minute, just a minute to get political for a second. And just to say that, you know, we here at the So Video Games Podcast, our entire staff, both hosts, everybody that keeps this show going, <laughs> we don't accept this shit. We are not in any way in favor of Nazis or white supremacists or any of this fucking shit. Um... You know, I, I want to be counted as a guy that did not sit idly by. I want to be counted as a guy who was willing to stand up and say something. I wanted to be counted as a guy who knew that this fucking shit was not right and did not accept any of it. So that's basically what I wanted to get off my chest because I just felt like I just had to say something. It just was kind of killing me. This week was killing me. And just what's going on in America right now is killing me. It's fucking madness. I cannot believe that we've got Nazis marching in our streets and that they are not immediately condemned. I have nothing but contempt for Donald Trump and the Republicans. They are fucking so despicable right now. This is probably the most despicable group of people to ever run the country in the history of the country. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, I'm not a professor of history, but like looking at what's been going on, I, I cannot believe anything has ever been worse than it is right now. So I just wanted to say we here at the show, uh, we are totally in support of our, our friends who are people of color, our LGBTQ friends, uh, anybody who stands up to this Nazi bullshit, anybody who stands up to this white supremacist bullshit, like, we are with you. We are with you 100%. <sighs> That's all. Corey, yes? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, there is no such thing as a... Because the stupid argument that keeps getting made over and over and over again is that, oh, well, let's just listen to the other side. Let's just have a fair and balanced argument about this. Let's just try to discuss this peacefully. There's no such thing as a peaceful discussion between people in America and Nazis or alt-right or whatever you want to call them because their entire platform is about the genocide of anybody that is not basically a white person. And there's no, 
there's no like what do you do like sit down at a table and be like oh so i see that your whole platform is about killing everyone that's black or brown or gay like how about we just talk this out real quick there's no such thing as that like this situation is not going to resolve itself over peaceful discussions as much as i hate to say that because i tend to be like more on the pacifist side of things um but that's not anybody anybody who thinks that this situation is going to be solved by sitting down at a table and having some peaceful discussions is a fucking moron and you need to read some books and look at some history lessons and get your shit in order because that's never ever ever gonna happen yeah, absolutely. You are absolutely right. You cannot discuss this kind of thing with people who their only goal is to kill people who are not like them. That's not a discussion you can have. I honestly don't believe they deserve any kind of platform at all in this country. Um, I am a firm believer in free speech, uh, but this does not fall under free speech for me. Uh, I just I think we need to just erase this shit out of the country, not have it in any way, shape, or form, and just be done with it. This is not this is not how we want America to be moving forward. I know that America has a very troubled history. I do not debate that. I know that there's a lot of things, a lot of problems that we have, uh, but we do not need fucking Nazis marching in the street. I will not tolerate that. We do not need that stuff. This is not the way that we want to live. And, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my son does not come up in a country that's fucking some crazy-ass fascist regime run by this ridiculous, like, ridiculous fucking Cheeto monkey uh, who's just taking our country and flushing it down the fucking toilet. So, um, anyway... We don't have to keep talking about this. I just wanted everybody to listen, who's listening to the show to know how we stand on this. We are for people of diversity. We are for people of color. We are for just fucking people because you know what? Nazis are not fucking people. They're fucking human garbage. They're shit piles on fire, and I have no tolerance for that. So fuck all Nazis, period. <sighs> now, let's period. move on. Let's move on. Uh, Corey, do you eat breakfast cereal? <laughs> you like my segue there is that pretty good that was uh again with the gear shifts <laughs> <laughs> back and forth on this show we don't fuck around uh, okay okay breakfast cereal i okay i have a long and sordid past with breakfast cereals i do enjoy them Ooh. but they are not good for you um i don't want to be that guy who gets on the podcast and who's like oh this is how you should be living your life healthily because i drink like a one and a half liter of bottle of wine a week and don't go to the gym but breakfast cereal is a terrible way if, if you eat it as soon as you wake up it is a terrible way to start your day because it like loads your body up with sugar and then it takes like your body a lot of extra effort to work that sugar off because it's like the first thing that you take into your body during the day and it's just not it's not good but I've got like a big bag of frosted flakes in the cabinet in the kitchen. <laughs> so I can't pretend like I'm above this and I wake up every day and eat like, you know, an apple and a banana and, you know, a glass of water or like juice or something every day when I get up. Um, I mean, let's be honest here. I don't have mornings anyway. I stay up until my mornings are bedtime. I stay up until like five or six in the morning and then go to sleep and sleep through my morning, quote unquote. But I mean, yeah, cereal is awesome, even if it's terrible for you. That was I. That was a way to, for you to ask me the question if I like cereal. I took way too much time answering that, but that's my official yeah, it was, answer. It was, it was kind of a yes or no, but that's fine. I'll take what you <laughs> gave me. 
I cereal is terrible for you, but I do love breakfast cereal. Um, and one of my favorite cereals of all time has traditionally been honeycomb. Um, I love honeycomb, or I, I have loved honeycomb. Uh, just the right balance of crunchy, sweet, but not too sweet. Um, just kind of the nice, nice little flavor profile that I like. I went to my local grocery store the other day, and uh, I noticed we were out of honeycomb. Got to get some more honeycomb. Got to get it back in the house. And I noticed they had changed the formula, and I'm like, what the what? fuck? What the fuck? So I bought it anyway. I mean, it looked basically the same, but on the box, they're like, yeah, new formula. Something, something, less sugar, something, something. I'm like, oh, God. Like, I know it's got sugar. I don't give a fuck. That's why I still eat it. Like, I don't care. Sometimes you just got to have the things that you want, right? So I get it home, pour some in a bowl. It looks a little bit different. I start chewing it, and I'm like, oh, God, this is not honeycomb. I mean, it, it kind of was honeycomb. It was like honeycomb's ugly cousin because it was like, it, it still sort of tastes like honeycomb, but it's like grittier, not quite as... um. It doesn't quite break apart in your mouth the same way that it used to. <laughs> and it, it's less sweet. And that's not really the worst part, but it just, it just feels like a different kind of grain or something they're using. It just, uh, it was like a little bit too healthy for me. I'm like, ah, oh, no, this is not good. This is not good. <laughs> um, very disappointed about this new formulation of honeycomb. I, uh, I did not finish the box. I got to say, I did not finish the box. That's really rare uh, in my house. So I kind of just tossed it. I'm like, this is not good. And I'm going to keep my eye out if they, if they, um, Go back to the old formula. You know, it kind of reminds me of like when Coke did like New Coke or something or whenever Pepsi does something where they change it up and people are like, fuck that, just leave it the same because we just want the same thing. <laughs> totally. With Honeycomb, I don't change it. Keep it the same. It's been the same for all these years. Ever since I was a kid, it does not need to change. Don't change Honeycomb. And not like I'm a guy who doesn't like change. It just didn't taste as good, like straight up. So, mm, mm, is it like how that's gonna go? Is it like when you buy like whole wheat pasta for the first time, and it's not like super bad, but it just like has a different mouth feel than regular pasta? Yeah, kind of. I mean, um, yeah, it's just it's like it's close enough so that you would eat it no problem if you were hungry, and you know exactly what it is. But there's something just it's just not the same as what you've known. It doesn't. It's not quite the same thing. So, like pasta and whole wheat pasta, or you know something else and something else. <laughs> this is honeycomb and new honeycomb are not the same thing. So, yeah, I'm I'm sad. I mean, I I'm not gonna buy it again. I'm not gonna buy it again. And uh, it kind of reminds me of. Um, Do you ever eat a candy bar called Whatchamacallit? You know Whatchamacallit. Oh right? my god, Whatchamacallits are so good. Yes. So back in the day, um, when Whatchamacallit first came out, it was a different formulation. I'm not sure if any people are really aware of this. I'm sure somebody knows. But when it first came out, it was like my favorite candy bar of like, oh, I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. I love I love what we call it. And at some point they changed it up. They changed like the ratio of caramel. They changed the inner crunchy bits. And it was it was all very similar. It wasn't like a night and day change. It was just like, I don't know, maybe a little less sugar in one thing, a little more sugar in this other thing, a little more caramel than they used to have or whatever. It just wasn't the same. Like, it was a very delicate balance they had. And ever since they changed it, I just I stopped eating them because it just did not <laughs> hit me in the same way. On paper, basically the same thing. In my mouth, totally not the same thing, which is something I'm sure that you have said, too. Oh, my God. So, so <laughs> we're on fire tonight, folks. Please strap in. Um, yeah, so very disappointed about Honeycomb. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, very, I'm still, I'm not over. What should we call it either? That sucks. So... Anyway, uh, that. Also, uh, nothing to do with anything. I was listening to the radio and a Howard Jones song came on. Are you familiar with Howard Jones from the 80s? No, I don't think so. 
I guarantee you've heard some of his songs. I mean, everybody in America has heard some of his songs, um, especially if you were alive, like in the late nineties, his songs were in like a lot of movies. They're always on the radio. It's like, it's like that song when it comes on, you're like, Oh yeah, this is a good song. But like, you don't know who sings it. And like, it's, it's not, it's not somebody that's really famous. Like it's not, um, you know, somebody that's very well known, but you recognize his work. Um, in fact, I meant to prep, uh, and get a bunch of his songs to, that I could like name off to you, and you would be like, I don't know any of those songs. Uh, and then I'd be like, but you do, but you're not going to cut those in because we would get tagged for um, you know, plagiarizing his songs or whatever. And I fell asleep before the show, so I did not have time to prep the notes, so we're not going to do that part. <laughs> but listeners, please, please know that I intended to kind of go through this whole thing to explain how cool Howard Jones is. Uh, but instead, go to YouTube and just type in Howard Jones Playlist, and it'll bring up a list of like all his greatest hits. Um, don't watch the videos because those are really painfully 80s to watch. It's it's real rough to watch those videos. But just, you know, go to a different tab on your browser. Just go do something else while that music is playing. And <laughs> it's really, really cool. Kind of like synth pop 80s stuff, like super hardcore 80s. Um, and I just I just think it's really good music. I just really like it a lot. I don't care what anybody thinks. It's it's pretty great stuff. Um one more just really, really quick mention. Uh, this last weekend was the uh, Midsummer Renaissance Fair in Washington. Uh, do you go to Renaissance Fairs, Corey? Have you ever been to a Renaissance Fair? I have. It's been a really, really long time. But whenever I was young, they used to do the Renaissance Festival in, uh, I think it was in Independence, Missouri. Because I, I lived um, around that area at the time. And probably for like four or four five years I went but I was probably like 10 like that was in like my 10 years old range maybe like 8 to 12 or something like that um it's been a long time but I'm definitely familiar with them and I've I've been before several times right on right on well the one that we go to here in um Washington is a pretty small one or at least it's pretty small compared to what uh, my wife tells me uh she is originally from Minnesota and she says that the Renaissance Fair is a big deal in Minnesota and apparently it's much bigger in the Midwest than it is here on the West Coast. Um so the Renaissance Fair is pretty small here comparatively, but I have a really good time at it and my family really enjoys it. They do a lot of um mock battle. Like people come out with like actual like full armor and horses that are all have like, you know, the horse like livery and the stuff that's done up. They do jousting and um spears and swords and all sorts of stuff it's just really cool to see that stuff and just watch these people uh run around and do this combat and everything and then of course there's like all these shops where you can buy all sorts of weird like uh leather goods and all sorts of medieval clothing um different things like that they also have uh oddly enough really good corn dogs <laughs> which i don't think are traditional medieval food but goddamn, they're really tasty at this thing. I think the people that run the corn dog stand make their own corn dogs. Uh, probably nothing at all remotely medieval, but man, really, really good. Um, but the funny thing was this year we went, my son wanted to dress up uh, to go to this, but he didn't have a ton of like period appropriate stuff. So he dressed up as like a ninja and then he like put some cyborg stuff on top of it. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not what this is, right? He's like, I don't care. So I'm like, all right, if you don't care, I don't care, man. We're down. We're going to whatever. Which is fine because people dress like complete freaks when you go to this thing. It's like some people are in the period. Some people just dress up like whatever. And it's just really bizarre. But it's fun. It's good times. It's good times. So he shows up as a tech ninja, <laughs> cyborg ninja. We walk in and people are kind of like laughing at him a little bit and, you know, saying he looks cool. But like, you know, they're kind of giggling that he's not at the right, you know, the right motif or whatever. So as we go along the stands, um, he's really into like all the costuming. He likes to do cosplay and everything. So like he... 
at first he picked up like a little, uh, like a tabard, which is kind of a thing where, um, it's like a knight wears over his armor, kind of like flies the flag of the kingdom he's fighting for. So it's like this big cloth, kind of like, like, like a smock almost. So he's like, oh, I want to get this. I'm like, okay, fine. So he's got that, but he's still got the ninja gear on and we keep walking and then he finds like this sword and he, we get the sword and then we go to this really cool like armorer and uh, this guy made these like, you know, actual helmets, like real helmets out of, uh, you know, steel or whatever they were made out of. And he's like, oh my God, look at this helmet. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty dope, dude. So, you know, and he got, actually had really, really good prices. I was actually shocked at how cheap this stuff was. So we ended up getting him a helmet. And like, by the time that we left, like he arrived as like a cyborg ninja and he left as like a Norman uh, raider with like, you know, he's <laughs> flying the, the appropriate flag. He had the sword and he had like the helmet and everything. Kind of cool that he did this like costume change in process, but <laughs> Overall, Ren Fair is really fun. Um, I wouldn't mind going to a bigger one to kind of check it out. And although I don't dress up myself, um, I don't know if I ever would. I don't know if I ever would. Would you dress up for a Renaissance Fair, Corey? Uh, probably not for Renaissance Fair. Maybe for, like, something else. Um, I'm not really... I don't have any, like, emotional or, like, interesting ties to, like, Renaissance periods. So probably not. But maybe, like for another period i don't know maybe maybe not maybe i would just go and take pictures because that seems to be what i do at like comic cons and stuff so i don't know maybe 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 well there would have been a lot to photograph at this thing there's lots of interesting characters but overall really good time it's the midsummer renaissance fair in bonnie lake washington it runs for like i think the entire month of august so just heads up if you're in the pacific northwest and you need to put on a corset and go eat some uh, fried food while you stand around outside and get dirty. So there you go. <laughs> Renaissance fairs are great. And that's going to do it for this week's unnecessary banter. That's not necessarily game related. And now on to the main event, the games chat. Uh, Corey, uh, I just talked for a million years. Why don't you go first? What do you have on tap? I uh, dived into a little, this is about like about as indie as you can get like an indie ass indie game. It's called, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's called, albedo a-l-b-e-d-o uh, colon eyes from outer space uh, it was on sale on the psn a few weeks ago for like gosh it was just like a few bucks like five bucks or something like that so oh, I, it was even cheaper than that it was like two bucks or uh, something like that because i bought it too okay good well uh i can confirm that i will explain to you in a moment why it, it's only worth two dollars um <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> uh, it uh it's by oh god what is this uh z4go and ivan venturi productions one thing about the game is that if you get on the psn or if you look up the, the youtube video of like the, the trailer for it one of the first things that the game's trailer says is like everything you're about to see was made by one guy and it's like so this is like one <laughs> dude that made this game i guess um published by merge games i believe uh it came out in february of 2016 i didn't realize this game was that old i thought it was pretty new but february of 2016 it's on ps4 xbox one and pc and I, I kind of had no idea what to expect going into this game because it's kind of one of those like indies that we just bought on a whim because it was cheap and it looked like kind of maybe like a first person exploration game. I wasn't because the trailer doesn't really give you a good idea of like exactly what the game's going to be. It's sort of like an aliens have touched down on Earth. And that's basically all I knew. I was like, OK, there's aliens in this and let's turn it on and see what it is. So I turned it on earlier today and 
it's basically the the beginning sort of like cutscene. I think you're a security guard for like a science facility or something, and you're like sitting at your desk with like your boots up on your desk, and there's a scientist that oh, that is coming out to the lobby, and he says something, and you t- you chat for a second, and then he leaves, and it's no dialogue options or anything. He just like says some lines, and then he leaves, and then there's some kind of like explosion in the lobby, and you fall through a hole in the floor after the explosion happens into this like basement stockroom area. And then that is where the gameplay starts. So you start in this like dirty kind of exploded stockroom and the door is there's like a vending machine and like uh, um, there's like a rat running around on the floor because it's kind of a dirty stockroom. There's like garbage everywhere. The door is blocked by something and there starts like there's some banging on the door and there may or may not be some kind of monster outside. And what I thought might be a first-person narrative adventure game or maybe even a first-person shooter sort of turned into, like, a first-person, like, um, what genre do I want to call this? It's kind of, like, just, like, a classic adventure game where you have to, like, look around the environment and find very sort of, like, obtuse things and, like, put them together in order to solve puzzles. Like, for example, the very first puzzle that you're presented with in the game, it's, like, the door's blocked. There's some sort of alien or something on the outside hitting the door to get in. How do you get out? And in order to get out, there's a vending machine. You have to punch through the vending machine glass, I think. Or maybe you, like, throw something at it. You, like, throw, a, like, a brick at it. and it, it you, So you have to pick up the brick, throw it at the glass. The glass breaks. Some of the candy comes out. You have to pick up a piece of candy, put it on a mouse trap that's on the floor, the rat goes over to the mouse trap, and then an alien bursts through the door. You have to attach a rope to the vending machine, and when the alien runs up to the rat to try to, like, eat it or something, you pull the rope on the vending machine, and it tips over onto the alien and kills it. Oh, no. This sounds terrible. It's No, I haven't even gotten to the worst part. Are you ready oh, for the God, worst gets, part? Oh, God. I hate these kind of games. Yes, tell me. I hate these. The, the worst part is that, and this might not be, this might not affect you as much as it affected me, because I don't know if you and I have discussed this in the past, but the worst part is that as far as I can tell, and I scoured the options menus, you cannot invert the y-axis. Oh, no. Oh, geez. That's so simple. Why would you not do that? It's such an easy thing. Yeah, like, I, the second I started playing, like, because I'm one of those gamers where as soon as I start a brand new game, before I even start the game, I go into the options menu and look through all the options and try to decide, because I, you know, because Y is never inverted. You always have to invert it. And then I always look through the stuff, you know, to turn subtitles on and... And so, like, I looked at the options menus, and I didn't see an option for it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't, like, a first-person game, because I still didn't know what it was at the time. And then I go into the game, and, like, as soon as I start moving the guy around in first person, I was like, oh, no, the Y is not inverted. And I, like, went back to the menu and went back to the options, and I was like, okay, there's no option that I see to invert the Y axis. And I almost stopped playing right there. Like, that was enough for me to be like, fuck this game. I don't want to play it. But I actually played it for about a half an hour. That's not a whole lot of time. But I made it through, like, three rooms. Because it was, like, the first storeroom is a little puzzle room. You go out to the hallway, and it's, like, another little puzzle where you have to, like, put some things together to, like, extinguish a fire. And then you go out to another room, and it's, like, another puzzle situation. And at that point, I, I gave up. Because this isn't the kind of game I'm interested in. 
and I it doesn't it doesn't fucking have inverted y axis like what uh, like ha ugh, like well it's let's, let's talk simple. about this for a second then let's talk about this because everybody I've noticed because I'm just like you like when I start a game I jump in and I do the options first so some games seem to think that the default is when you push up the camera goes up and some games think that when you push up the camera goes down so what do you think of as being the standard and then what do you want it to be I think standard is pushing up and the camera goes up like without question but i think that there is like i don't know that um, i would be actually maybe i should do like a twitter poll for this maybe you should do a twitter poll for this because you have like a million more followers than i do <laughs> to, to find out when people play first person shooters on a with a controller on a gamepad how what percentage actually do inverted y-axis because i f- i think i could be wrong here but i feel like a lot a big a big percentage of gamers do inverted y-axis but i could be wrong but it's such an easy thing to put in a game and if the game has really been out for a year and a half and that has not been patched in if that were patched in i probably would have played this game longer but the fact that i had to completely reorient and it's such an easy thing you'd think it's one of those things where you could pick it up and just be like oh this isn't a big deal i can play it anyway but you can't i have such a hard time i feel like I just the simple act of making the y-axis standard is enough for me to be completely turned off to your game even though it seems like an easy thing to implement but uh I would be interested to know the stats on who does standard versus inverted actually now that we're talking about it well if if a developer doesn't put in a little thing like that it kind of makes you think what what are they what else are they not putting in like what (laughs) other things are they omitting or what other things are they not doing so so, so when you're playing this game, you were looking around, and every time you would look up, your camera would like tilt down. Then is that what was going on? Well, it would um, when it's not inverted. If I if I press the joystick up, the character would look up, which is like the quote unquote right way, I think. But I prefer that if I push the right joystick up, that they look down. That's how I like to do it. Oh, um, so you play the fucked up way? That's no, I play the way. regular. I play the good that way. That is the fucked up way. The good. That's way. weird. You're weird. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, cause it, it depends. You say standard, and then everybody's got a different idea of standard. Like, in some games, standard is up is up, and in some games, standard is up is down, and it really depends. I don't think there really is a standard. Maybe we will do this poll. Or if you're listening, dear listeners, let us know <laughs> what you prefer. I would be curious to know. Okay, so, like, when I play a game, I always I always want up to be up. So when you play that kind of game, you want up to be down. Then. Yes, Ah, that is Always. weird. That is so weird. That is weird. You are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing this game. It ends up being one of these fucked up, like, weird puzzle logic games, which I'm terrible at those because I can never figure out what the developers want me to do. The solutions never make sense to me. So you got a couple rooms in, and I know that you had a lot of camera problems, but, like, were there, like, what was it just, like, puzzle after puzzle? Or, like, was that kind of what how the game went? Or what else did you see before you shut it off? Well, I think the game has a little bit of combat in it because in the second room, at one point, this little, like, alien thing, like, come, like I don't know, like, hatched from an egg or, like, came out somewhere and you have to, like, hit it. And I, like, hit it a couple times and it died. But it wasn't even, like, a standard, like, right trigger hit or, like, clicking the right thumbstick hit because those are the buttons that I would consider to be like pretty standard for like attack it was like the game does this weird thing where like you have to hover you're like the middle of your cursor over something and once you highlight something you can press square on the playstation 4 square to like interact with it or you can press the d-pad to the left or right while it's highlighted and it'll give you different options like say you have the cursor over like 
a valve and it'll be like observe if you want to hit square and then if you press the d-pad left it'll be like turn left or if you press the d-pad right it'll be like turn right or if you press it right again it'll be like take the valve and it's not like you have to like kind of cycle through the options you want to do and then hit the square button to like initiate or execute that that um control option i guess and it was the same thing with the alien like instead of just like looking at the alien and like hitting right trigger to, to hit it you have to like keep the cursor on it and then like the first option it gives you is hit and then you like press a square button to hit it which is like not in any way shape or form how i want to be like doing combat in a game so that was like a very small taste of the combat that the game offered but uh, as far as the first three rooms i did it was basically just like puzzle 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 minus that little bit of combat but i've only played it for like a half an hour so i can't can't be sure how it progresses after that well, based on your description of the first puzzle, which, like, put a fucking candy bar on a mousetrap, <laughs> and the mousetrap gets on the thing, and the alien, and then pull it, like, fuck, what? I literally would not have gotten further past that first room. I would have already been looking at a, an FAQ <laughs> to find out how to get past the first room, and then when I realize I'm looking at an FAQ for the first room, I would have deleted the game, because I'm like, this is ridiculous. So, anyway, I'm guessing that you're probably not going to be uh, coming back to good old Albedo. Is that is that two bucks just gone, or are you going to try to get some more value out of it? Oh, that $2 is long gone. I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I If the game had inverted Y-axis, I would consider playing it a little bit more to kind of see, like, what it opens up to, because I have a feeling that this game has a little bit more in store than just, like, puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. But the simple fact that it doesn't offer an inverted y-axis and that the first three rooms are just like three obtuse puzzles in a row, I I mean, I congratulate this guy on allegedly making this entire game himself, but it's a terrible game. So yeah. sorry, <laughs> I'm never playing this again. Yeah, it kind of like, I get what you're saying. And in, in, in some ways, I kind of agree. I mean, making making a thing is hard, like... Tearing something so down. Hard. But yeah, just creating something is very difficult. And especially a video game, a lot of technical knowledge, a lot of work, a lot of polish, a lot of, you know, bug testing, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of work. But I mean, the fact is, and this is really hard to hear for some people, especially indies, is like, I get what I, I get how, how much work this is. Like, I know how, how major this is. But like, there are so many people out there making games that it's not enough to just make a game like you have to make a good one it's just like like with books like with writing there's so many people writing books it's cool to write a book it's hard to write a book you write a book and that's great but that doesn't mean shit you know because so many people <laughs> have to write books you have to write a really good book same thing with movies so like i get that this guy made a game and that's awesome and i congratulate him on that and that's a really difficult challenge that most people will never do in their lifetimes but just because you made one doesn't mean that it's worth a damn, which is really hard to hear. So on the one hand, here's your medal for participation. On the other hand, your game sucks. So, you know, I don't know. That's really harsh, I guess. But that's kind of the reality of what we're dealing with. Well, and even more sad, potentially even more sad than that, is the fact that because we live in an age where so many people can make so many things, you know, whether it's video games or books or movies or, you know, YouTube videos or music or what have you, or podcasts like ours. Um, you can even make a good thing and nobody will care about it. You can make a really totally. good thing and you can still be a financial failure or you can still like, nobody will play it. Nobody will see it. So 
I mean, sometimes it's not even enough to make a good thing. I mean, there's so much luck involved. There's so much, um, you know, exposure. There's just so much shit involved with making something and then having the right people see your thing and enjoy it. I mean, I'm all for finding your audience, but sometimes just, I mean, even if it's good, that still doesn't quite cut it. That is an absolutely perfect segue into the game that I would like to talk about right now, Corey. Oh, boy. Uh, which is something that we talked about on last episode. Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. Because it's um, good I... and you're the target audience and nobody else is playing this game. Is that right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this game is amazing. If you caught the last episode, I just I was just like losing my shit. I was just it was just like one constant <laughs> orgasm over this game. I could not get over how good it was, how much I was enjoying it, how polished it was, how smart it was, how many great decisions it made, how fantastic. I mean, I loved every was glued glued to this game, and that does not happen to me that often. So, uh, I think this is a fantastic game and like nobody is playing it. Nobody is talking about it. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, which is really heartbreaking. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, although I did talk about it in the last episode really quickly. First released December 2016 for PC. Just released August 1st for PS4 and Xbox One. Developed by Mimi Me Productions. Published by Daedalic Entertainment. And for those who may have missed last episode, this is a stealth game, which is also a real-time tactics game where you take a team of, uh, f- I guess it's three ninjas, one sniper, and a samurai, kind of like a <clears throat> mixed mixed group of folks there, and you do a bunch of missions uh, for your shogun. So it's a story campaign. Each mission has different objectives, uh, lots of changes in the team composition. Like, you don't get to choose. The developers tell you which characters you can have on each map, and that's, that's what you get to work with as a way of keeping you on your toes. Story is great. Voice acting is great. Everything is great. It's hard as hell, um, but they give you some quick saves, which are really easy to use. And so you basically have to quick save your way through each level because it's really, really difficult. Um, I just finished it this morning. I'm very glad I got through it uh, because it was great. It was great. My first impressions were that it was great. Uh, Final impressions, still great. That game was amazing. One of my favorite games of this year. By far, everything about it, so polished, so smart, so enjoyable. Um, I just, I just couldn't get over it. I mean, playing this game was, was nice because it has my favorite mix of really strong characters, which got me connected to the characters. They were not just like faceless minions or something, you know, like, uh, some tactics games just say, Hey, you can create an archer and you make one and then that's it. That's your archer. Of course you can name them whatever you want usually, but that to me is not enough. I like characters to have actual character. And these characters definitely do. In fact, I thought the story was really fucking good. Um, A little bit on the simple side, because it's basically about, you know, feudal lords in Japan uh, taking over, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a million games that have that setting. And in general, I think it's a really boring setting that I just had no interest for me at all. Um, But they really got the characters to shine through. I loved the characters. I loved their interactions. I loved how they talked to each other, everything they said. And I have to say, like, I... I legit had like some serious feels when I got to near the end of the campaign. I'm not going to spoil anything, but like I felt hard um, for what was going on in the story. And I never would have thought that about a tactics game. It's not, you know, you don't think of tactics games as being ones that like that get to you. 
in that way. You know, like you may think they're cool. They may be challenging. You may have fun working with the systems, but I think it's pretty rare that a tactics game really reaches in and like, you know, touches you as like a person or really connects with you on an emotional level. I totally, I was like, oh my God, like when stuff was going on in the story, which again, not going to spoil, I was just like, oh man, like I just, it oh, got me, dude. It got me. Um, I didn't cry, but like I, I had some feels like big time feels. So that was amazing. Any game that can do that to me, I know has great writing because I do not feel that very often. Um, I just love everything about it. I think overall it took me, let's see, uh, probably pretty close to 50 hours to beat it, which is pretty hefty for a tactics game, I think, at least for me. I mean, I know some can go really long, a lot of extra levels, a lot of detail, but for something that is of this nature, I felt like that was a pretty, pretty substantial length, but also just the right length. I think if it had gone on longer, I would have started to get tired of it. I think it ended right when it needed to end. And it's so challenging and so intense. Like I could only play like one or two levels a day uh, because they're very tough. Like the final level, I'll give you an example. The final level is when you're approaching the enemy, uh, enemy Shogun's castle. And he's got like fortifications all over. I mean, it looks basically impregnable when you first start the level. You're like, oh my God, how am I going to get in this thing? What am I going to do? I mean, sure, you're a ninja, but like ninjas can only do so much. <laughs> um, so you're looking at this, it's like there's no way. But eventually you find some cracks in the defenses. You figure out a way to, to work your way in. That last level took me almost like three and a half hours to beat, dude. Like, I mean, that was, it was almost like like a like a an endurance test, you know, like of getting through and I didn't want to stop because I figured if I stopped, I would forget what I was doing. And you got to like really pay like 100% attention all the time. You can't just like casually play this game. So I was like, oh my God, I don't want to stop because if I save and go have breakfast and come back, I'm going to forget what I was doing and then I'll forget what my plan was. And then, no, 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 I got to say, I got to say, I got to finish this. Just, just, hey, honey, can you bring me some coffee? All right, thanks. And just, just chug your coffee and keep going. Uh, but it was worth it. It was really good. I thought this game was just fantastic all the way through. Uh, loved it. Easily one of my favorites of the year. And I've recommended it to a few people on Twitter and everybody I've recommended it to so far has loved it. I have not had a single person say they did not like it. So I feel really solid in recommending this uh, to people who like tactics, to people who like, um, you know, challenging kind of chess-like games of this sort. There's not a whole lot of these uh, types on consoles, but if you like this kind of thing, almost like a top-down hitman in a way, um, I, best, best, strongest possible recommendation. And just to circle back, Corey, um, I know that I had mentioned that the Hitman factor to you, uh, on the last show. And I do think that's true, but now that I've gone all the way through it, I don't think I would recommend this to you because I think it is so, <laughs> it is so difficult. And I don't say that as a bad thing. I mean, it's, I, I enjoyed it. I had fun, but it's not something that I would recommend to people unless I knew for a fact that they were like, they were in for the that like challenge to sink your teeth in and just really just like, just, just power through it. You know, I mean, not that you can, don't do that. I'm not saying you're, you know, like a, a weak gamer or anything, but I just, I don't <laughs> see this as being your deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if I gave up on Ronan after like two levels, I have to be like really, I, I don't, there's gotta be something really special about a difficult game for me to put up with how difficult it is to keep playing it. And it's really hit or miss, but this game sounds, I mean, it sounds interesting and like the Hitman angle, it, like the way you play, it definitely sounds like the way I play a Hitman game. Cause anytime I start a mission in Hitman for the first time, I'll probably spend like an hour or an hour and a half, just like walking around the level and figuring out where everybody is and who can go where and who can do what and doing like a ton of recon. But 
I just don't think that this game is my cup of tea. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's really, really hard. But that, but what you're describing, like recon the level, look around, that's exactly how I play it. And it's just been really enjoyable. Um, just looking at this area and just feeling like, oh my God, this is impossible. Like there's, see, the thing is like when you have your ninjas, they all can do certain things, uh, but like it takes time. And the, the most dangerous thing in this game is being seen by other people. So you may be able to take down any, any guy one-on-one. Like you can easily sneak up on somebody and stab in the back or whatever. But the problem then becomes, I can't carry this body fast enough to get it out of sight. And there's three other guys in this room and they're going to see me uh, before I can get this thing stashed. Or I'm going to stab this guy in the back and he's going to make a certain amount of noise. And the people who are nearby are going to hear it and they're going to get here before I can get out of here. And then once the alarm is raised, even more guards show up and you can kill guys. But like, you know, once you get two or three guys up against you, it's over. Like you can't kill them all uh, before they get you. Uh, so that's really a challenge. And just being able to figure out like the puzzle type elements of like, well, if I kill this guy and I have my other ninja at the same time doing this thing over here, uh, you know, she can like make a whistle like a bird and that'll distract this guy for a second. And then while he's looking for the bird, which is not there, I will run <laughs> behind him. And then, you know, you kind of coordinate the whole thing. And I think the really the most brilliant thing is something I mentioned also last time was the quote unquote shadow mode where you can program guys to do these moves and then uh, when you push a button everybody does their move at the same time like ordinarily you're just connect, uh, controlling one ninja at a time but there are some rooms where it's like you just cannot get it done by yourself there's too many guards uh, it's just too too tough of a choke point there's just too many people looking so i mean it's it's so brilliant when it goes on like you you, you sneak your ninjas around hide one in a bush behind one guard uh, you get your sniper up on a roof and he's got his his uh, sights on somebody else in the same room You've got somebody else who's like in disguise and she's kind of like hanging out in the corner looking like a geisha, but she's actually got like a knife underneath her, her skirt. And so you get everybody in position, you, you know, program what you want to do and you hit the button and you pray that you've got it all timed correctly so that everybody dies at the exact same time and no one is delayed. And like, man, when that goes off, it's fucking amazing. Like, it's so cool to like, to feel that stress building up of like, oh God, I hope this goes off right. And you think you got everything, all the pieces in place. And you hit that button and you're just waiting for everybody to do their thing. And then, man, when they stab those guys and it all just happens at the same time and, like, five guys go down and, like, no alarm is raised and no one gets caught, it's awesome. Like, it is just so awesome. I love that mechanic so much. It's so fun. Um, of course, it's really, really difficult, like I said. And I think I average save maybe 50 or 60 times per level, um, if that gives you an idea of how often I'm saving. So if an average level is about two hours... Divide that by, you know, 60 saves, whatever that is. I'm not good at math, but it's a lot of saving. Uh, so it's very, very tough, very, very challenging, but I love what it does. I think what it does, it does perfectly. And I just, I really, really enjoy it. So one of my highest recommendations of the year, Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. Please check it out. Please rent it. Please try. I think there's a demo even that you can download for free. I'm pretty sure on PS4, Xbox One and PC. Try the demo at least and see how that goes. This game is the shit, and I'm really sad that nobody in the world is playing it right now because this game deserves to be celebrated. Um, I think I'm going to be the only person talking about it in December, which <laughs> is a real fucking crime. So, anyway, any last questions on Shadow Tactics before we move on, Corey? Uh, I'll look up the demo. If there's a demo on PS4, I'll download it, and I'll definitely try it, and maybe that'll like push me one way or another. Um, but... Uh... 
Yeah, I'm glad that you're excited about this game, and I'm sorry that I don't want to play it. <laughs> oh, you know, don't feel sorry, man. It's different strokes for different folks. There has been a billion games you've covered that I would not want to touch with a 10-foot pole, so I think we've got both sides of the spectrum pretty well covered. I think we are a good counterpoint for each other. But enough about Shadow Tactics. Corey, you've got another game to talk about. Dreadnought, man. I know about this game, but I want to hear you talk about this game. Let's hear it, sir. Have you played this? I have played this as a little background. little background. I saw this at PAX like three or four years ago, like a oh, while ago. And I saw it, and I'm like, oh, it was PC only at that time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this game looks so rad. They've got to bring it to PC. And at the time, they were like, yeah, yeah, we th- we'd like to. We think we might. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then, like, all these years go by. And then they're like, hey, it's here. So I have played it on PC. Uh, I have played the PS4 version a little bit. Uh, but I don't want to hog the spotlight here, man. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about Dreadnought. Tell me what you thought. Okay, so this is uh, Dreadnought, which the it's still it's in like open beta right now. Uh, I believe it, so, yeah. Yep. And it, yeah, and it that was I guess that started in June of 2017, so it's kind of relatively new for consoles at least. And developed by Six Foot Games, uh, co-developed on PS4 by Jaeger, which kind of surprised me because Jaeger did Spec Ops: The Line, which is a fucking garbage game that everybody loves, and. Uh, they it's published by Graybox Entertainment. Uh, it's on PS4, PC. Is it on Xbox One? No, not on Xbox One. I don't believe so. No, oh, well, not that yet. Makes me anyway. feel special. Okay, so this is a free-to-play ass free-to-play game where you are. It's like an air. It's a ship aerial combat game, but it's not like fast fighter jets air combat game. It's like big ass ships in space flying around really slowly and you have like your primary and secondary weapon and then you have like your cooldown powers and it's like just like turning this game on it's very it reminded me of um that uh like twisted metal e game what's it called like crossfire cross out cross out Crossout, yeah, Crossout. It, it reminded me of Crossout because you turn it on and it's just like this like smattering of menus in your face. And I was like, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? There's like so many menus and like so many tabs. And it's just very like, you can tell it was built for PC first and free to play in that situation. But it actually has some pretty good tutorials that get you into things. And basically you're, it's kind of like a PVP or PVE uh, aerial combat game where you have big ships and you in the tutorial level you they kind of teach you how to fly and teach you how to uh, shoot and everything and you're you're it's a third person you don't really see the characters you just see the ships and you're flying this big ass ship around and there's like a bunch of different ships i mean as you would expect with a free-to-play game there's like a million different ships a million different like customizable trees a million different ways to customize the look of your ship and to change the weapons on it and like you know you can buy credits and you can do all the stuff and you know build up experience and earn credits and earn xp from battles and stuff and i did the tutorial level i did the training level which is like after you learn the combat controls and i did one pve match i think earlier and it's it's got some really cool things going for it that I appreciate because it kind of feels like if somebody made like an aerial like maybe like Star Trek ship kind of combat game but not like warp speed fighting but just like 
fighting in big ships because you have your right trigger does every ship has two different right trigger weapons and you use the left uh, left and right d-pad buttons to switch between them so you might have like a tesla cannon and then like a rapid fire machine gun or something like that like every ship is different and then you have two offensive uh special weapons and two defensive special weapons and those are on the face buttons like square and triangle are offensive circle and x are defensive and some examples of those might be like there's like a lock-on missile uh where you the little icon turns green and you can press a button to launch your missiles and it takes a few seconds for the missiles to launch so it's not the kind of thing where you press triangle and like the missiles are like off and away to the target and like one of them has like a pretty short like warp jump where you can like press X and after you the warp jump will build up for like five seconds and then you like hop across the map real quick, which is a really nice thing to do because the ships move really slow in the air. Um, and then on top of that, and each of those abilities has a cooldown anywhere from like 10 seconds to like a minute, like some of the cooldowns are really long and some of them are shorter. Um, so that way you can't just be doing like lock-on missiles all the time. And then the the other thing that it has going that I like is it kind of reminds me of, this is going to be a strange comparison, but of the Crisis games because you have some like special ship abilities, but they all siphon from the exact same energy tank. So you can do, um, you swipe your thumb on the little PlayStation touchpad to do these, which I initially thought was going to be a really terrible control mechanic, but I've actually grown to enjoy it. So if you swipe up, it siphons more power to your thrusters so you can move around the battlefield faster. If you swipe left, it gives your weapons more uh, more effectiveness or more power, I guess. And if you swipe right, it build, it uh, uh, starts a shield or it like, engages a shield around your entire ship to, to do your, I guess, uh, heighten your defenses. Um, but you have to be very strategic about the way you use those three abilities because... Like I said before, they all come from the same energy meter, and then once the energy meter runs out, it has to recharge, and you know, then you can use something else if you want to. But I mean, basically, that's the meat of it. It is just an air combat game where you're flying these big ass ships around in the air pretty slowly and trying to like trying to maneuver, even though the maneuvering is pretty slow, and and shoot other ships and blow them up. Or if you do the PVE, you have like a co-op thing where you can have I think it's like three or four people in one match, and you just fight off waves of enemies. And um, that's that's it. I have other things I want to say, but um, did I leave anything out or anything interesting that I missed, Brad? No, I think you actually did a really thorough job of covering it, and I think that was actually a good call with the uh, the crisis connection. That didn't occur to me, but you were absolutely on the on the on the money with that one, and uh, how you managed that. No, you you covered it uh, really well. Tell me more before I jump in, or did you want me to? Did you want me to pop in a little bit here? Um, no, I can continue for just a second. Um, I, I just want to call out a few things that I found kind of interesting about the game. Um, one thing that I think is kind of, I don't know if this is like a good thing or bad thing. To me, it's bad so far, but I don't, I'm going to, just going to assume that the developers did it for a reason that maybe I don't understand yet that the left thumbstick controls the ship. So you press forward, you know, you press up on the thumbstick to make the ship go forward. You press back to make it go backwards, left to turn left, right to turn right. The weird thing about the control is that the right thumbstick obviously swerves the camera all the way around the ship. But if you're going forward and you turn the camera right or left, the ship does not turn right or left. So I keep having this control camera like sort of um, problem, I guess, where I'll be moving the ship forward and I'll be looking to the like, say there's like a ship on the left and I look over to the left and start firing my guns toward the ship and you know maybe i want to just go toward that ship obviously if i'm trying to shoot it 
but then I have to like control the camera and then control the the ship movement at the same time. And I kind of wish it did a Halo thing where when you're just like in the in the the aircraft or in the ship or whatever, it would just go wherever the target reticle is pointed. But it doesn't do that, which is kind of annoying to me. And it also doesn't explain, it's kind of one of those games, and I think this is just like a free-to-play thing in general, is that there's a lot of stuff that it explains, but there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't explain. And like, I was going into my first, I think it was in the training match, and you have like three or four ships to pick from at the beginning. And whenever you're like in the heat of like getting ready to engage in the battle and you can like cycle through your ships it the game doesn't really do a very good job of telling you like what each ship is good for or what it's not good for it basically just shows you like the primary and secondary weapons and then like the cooldown uh abilities but it doesn't really say what they do or how much damage they do or how much ammo they hold before they reload or how what their cooldown times are so you just kind of have to it's one of those games where you just have to like play it a lot and experiment a lot in order to like learn what everything does and what's best for you which I kind of wish it would just say those things because like I died my ship blew up in one of the matches and I was like okay well I'm gonna switch ships because I want to experiment here and I accidentally selected a ship that was only a healing ship like it didn't have as far as I could tell it didn't have any offensive capabilities at all and it's just like a ship that you can use to like shoot like a healing beam at other ships and I was like, awesome, if I had known that, I wouldn't have selected this ship because now I'm basically dead in the water because I can't even get over to my dudes to heal them. And and uh, But the healing ships are important because basically if a healing ship is beam healing a bigger ship, like an offensive ship, it's really hard to kill that offensive ship. And I found myself in a situation earlier where it was both like intelligent and frustrating because I kept trying to kill this big like dreadnought ship but it was being healed, so no matter how quickly I could attack it, I wasn't bringing its health down quickly enough to counteract the healing that was being done to it. And then so I aimed at the healing um, the healing aircraft, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just blow that one up first, because that's the logical thing to do here. So I'm trying to kill the healing aircraft, but it turns out that a healing aircraft was healing the healing aircraft that was healing the dreadnought. <laughs> so it was like this trifecta of like a healing chain where you have to go to like the caboose of the of the aircrafts and like kill the first healing one first and then the second healing one unless like all of the ships in your area are doing like an onslaught on the big ship that's being healed. Odds are you won't be able to attack it fast enough to kill it. So I was like, wow, you guys are really smart. Like this is a clever thing to do, like to do like a healing chain. But at the same time, I was like, oh, fuck you guys. I can't kill this big ship because there's like a giant healing chain here going on. But uh, I don't know. Those are some of my experiences I've had so far. I, I can't say that I will continue playing this game because I just know that like Free to play. This whole free to play thing like isn't really. Th there's got to be something really special about a free to play game like this to really get me into it, because I'm not gonna spend money on it. I'm not gonna buy the ten dollar founders pack. You know the twenty, the thirty, the forty, the one hundred dollar founders pack, or you know all the different packs that they have that have like the ship and the jumpstart abilities. And there's just so many different kinds of currency. Like you have the XP. There's like a gold currency. There's like a silver currency. And there's way to. There's a way to like. There, there's like exchange rates between the currencies where you can like trade one for this other one and you can buy different things with different currencies and the game like does not explain any of the currency stuff to you whenever you start playing it so like I don't even know like how to buy a ship how to earn the right currency what kind of currency I'm supposed to be earning what XP can do for me and I just don't feel like 
playing this game more to have to figure that stuff out. And I also don't feel like having to like go online and look this stuff up. I shouldn't have to do that in order to understand what I'm doing in your game. But I mean, I appreciate what it's going for. And I really, I mean, I don't really play a lot of aerial combat games, but I feel like maybe there's not a lot of stuff out there like this game, you know, as far as like big, slow moving, like juggernaut ships fighting each other. But I also can't say that I'm going to keep playing it because I probably won't. Yeah, I hear you. Um, this is a really interesting thing for me because I loved it when I first saw it like those those many years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought it was just so great. And when I was talking to the developers, um, they clearly had a lot of ideas that either got changed or maybe didn't make it in or just things have altered over the years. It was not um, supposed to be a free to play, uh, if I remember correctly. They did not. That was not the original plan. So although I am not entirely against free to play games, I mean, I do play uh, a couple of them. I really enjoyed Let It Die. I still play Marvel Puzzle Quest. Um, those are like the exceptions to the rule. In general, I kind of um, take issue with free to play because I don't see very many developers implementing it in a way that works for me. Um, also, just, um, well, I mean, I just, I like the idea of what they're doing. I like the big ships moving slowly, uh, being very strategic about what you're doing. That feels cool. Like, I like I like that. I like the way the game looks. I think it looks pretty nice just flying your ships around and seeing the beam shoot out and the little waves of missiles and everything. I think it looks great. But kind of like you, um, when I finally got my hands on the actual thing, I I gotta admit i was really kind of disappointed because when you get hit with that free-to-play garbage screen that like it seems like every <laughs> fucking free-to-play game does i hate that screen i hate it so much every fucking free to play um, okay not everyone but most uh free-to-play games on console do this screen and it immediately turns me off it's just like one, you know, core of the screen is like, buy this thing, and then here's the new news, and here's the season news, and here's this other daily challenge, and then here's this thing, and then get this other upgrade thing. It's like, fuck, this is garbage. Do you guys not see how shit this looks? It's so confusing if you're not already into the game, and I'm not going to get in the game if I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm overwhelmed with all these different boxes of garbage. Oh, it was the biggest, like, bucket of cold water to be thrown on me when I started this game. <laughs> Uh, because every game, you know, like like Crossout did that, uh, Gigantic does that, Fortnite does that. I mean, there's a lot of games where it's just like, oh, fuck, this is just ugh, it's <laughs> trash. I hate it from a UI perspective. Um, just from a general interface perspective, I just ugh, hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, also, like you, it doesn't, ex I mean, it didn't explain much to me. So when I started getting into it, I'm like, I got through the tutorial. The tutorial was fine. I did a practice mission. That was fine. But then when I wanted to, like customize my ship it was like i started drowning where it was like too much stuff going on i couldn't easily parse out what was going on it was like buy a bunch of ships well what do i have why what it makes this other ship good when i got to that screen it really reminded me of um, world of tanks or world of warcraft not world of warcraft world of uh world of warplane warplanes sorry sorry totally different games <laughs> world of warplanes um, and the only reason I know this is because my oldest son got sucked into it for a summer and I thought it was the most garbagey shitfire game I'd ever seen. <laughs> and it totally reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, God, I hate that model. I hate that game. I hate that whole structure. So when I saw like the screen that has like 42 different ships that you can buy and there's like this tech tree that you got to go on and it just was like, oh, man, none of this looks good. Um, I will also say that when I talked to the developers initially, one of the things that really seemed the most interesting to me 
was they said, and you know, I don't know how long ago they abandoned this, but they said that when you had your ships, part of the appeal of this game was that you were going to be able to recruit different crew members. And then those crew members would have personalities, you know, maybe not like nothing like Mass Effect or anything like that, not like an RPG, but like, you know, you would have a gunner and you would remember your gunner's name because he had a quirk, like maybe he'd be Scottish. And then your your uh, helmsman would be, you know, a woman and she would be memorable because she was, you know, whatever, from some faraway planet or something. Like you would have these characters and they would have different stats and you could kit out your ship, like your, your ship could get some gear and then your crew members really made a difference. And I'm like, that sounds really, really interesting. And the idea of bonding with a crew was really appealing to me. Um, as far as I could tell, that is no longer in the game, which was really disappointing to me. And as I just started playing it, it was like, it's fun to play, but I could easily see myself falling away from it because I'm not going to put in the time to really get good. Because this is one of those games where I'm assuming if you put more money into it, you will get better access to better stuff. Uh, I'm not planning to put any money in and just playing it. I was like, didn't have enough personality for me. It didn't really grab me. There was no hook that really connected with me. Like I think the crew members might've done it for me or maybe if being able to customize my ship was easier, maybe that would have done it for me. Um, you know, being able to, to color your ship the way you want to color it or put little doodads on it just to make it feel like it's your own. That might've gotten me in a little bit longer, but, uh, and no campaign. I was really disappointed to see there was no campaign. I really, really wish free to play games would just get it in their head that not everybody likes this kind of game. And if you want to get more people in, you got to hook them. Um, when I was starting off with let it die, for example, that is a free to play game. They avoid the garbage screen. They just get you into the gameplay. Uh, you start playing right away. So there's no like weirdness. You just, you just, you, it acts like any other game. Same thing with puzzle quest. They get you into the game. There's like a, a single player campaign where you don't have to worry about PVE or PVP or anything. You just play the game. Very simple. They get you in. Once you understand what's going on, you're hooked by that point. Free-to-play games need to figure that out. Like, don't throw me into PvP right away. Don't throw me into, like, these modes where I'm not sure what's going on when I don't even know what the game is about. Like, give me something I can identify with. Give me something to connect with. And then once I think I like this game, once I figure what's going on, that will give me the motivation to explore your systems. That will give me the motivation to maybe pony in five or ten bucks if I want to. Uh, a lot of these games just seem to be like, they vomit all their shit on the screen and be like, blah, 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 here you go. Give us some money. And I'm like, no, like, why would I fucking do that? I don't know if I like your game. I don't know what the system of your game is. I don't know if I even, you know, just anything about it. And I just, it really turned me off. I'm really disappointed to see that this concept, which I was in love with a couple years ago, ended up being what it is now. And I, you know, I don't mean to be unfair. I mean, I haven't spent that much time with it. Um, I do plan to give it one or two more tries uh, before I delete it off my box. But the fact that I'm even considering deleting it already is kind of like, that's eh, sad. I think it's a great idea, but I just don't see it in its current form um, cutting the mustard with me. And you said you might come back to it once or twice? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'll see. I mean, just like listening to you talk to it is sort of like reinforcing the idea that I'm really not, like, not that interested in playing. Because every time... Like, you and I have gone, like, round and round about some free-to-play games so far. Like, we've tried Crossout, we've tried this, we've tried um, Warframe, and maybe some other stuff. And every time I play one, I need to just keep, I need to just be more honest with myself. Because every time we play one and talk about it, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I'll play it again. And then I never, I never play it again. So, maybe I should just not play this game again and just call it what it is and just eject. I, I can eject out of my dreadnought spaceship and engage the parachutes 
and land on the ground and play something that is not fucking free to play garbage. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was having a discussion on Twitter with a couple of folks, um, not about this specifically, but about the concept of like time and games that don't have an end and how much time you have to devote. And um, the person I was speaking with had clearly way more time than I do. I mean, I think he's single, probably doesn't have any kids. Uh, I don't know if he's in a relationship or whatever, but he just from his general tone, it seemed like he had a lot more time um, than I did. And the thing that, that really turns me off about games like this, along with other games, is like well, these games that don't have an end or they're free to play or they, they are structured in a certain way. It's like they want you to put all of your time into this game. And there's only so much time in the day, especially as you get older, when you have uh, you know more responsibilities, work, maybe school, maybe kids, maybe family, partner, who knows? Um, free time comes at a premium as you get older. And I just... Anytime I start one of these games, no matter how much I like the concept, if there's not an end point, I kind of just tune out because it's like I'm not going to devote my life to any of these games to get to get good enough to keep up to where I enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to play Dreadnought anywhere near long enough to be able to be like on the winning side more often than I'm on the losing side. Or the same <laughs> thing with like, um, you know, like uh, like like Overwatch. I love Overwatch. I think Overwatch is super fun, but I only play it like maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks. And when I play, I'm a total scrub because I don't put enough time in to be good. I, 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 you know, I play it. I think, Oh, this is cool. I get my ass kicked. And then I like, I dip out for two weeks because it sucks to lose. And I just don't want to, I just don't have the time. If I played overwatch good enough to be good or, or enough to be good, I would be missing out on like 25 other games that I would be playing in that same time, you know? Um, and so whenever one of these things comes out, it's like it's another game where they want you to devote your life to it. And I'm just not going to. So I immediately just stop uh, as much as I may like the idea of playing Dreadnought. I'm not going to devote myself to it as much as I may like the idea of any of those other free to play games. Like, you know, I think uh, a lot of them have some cool ideas, but I just I'm not wanting to enlist in any of them. I don't want to sign my life away and I just can't. You can't play all these games. There's just not enough time in the day. So, I mean, unless you want to be a scrub at all of them, I mean, go ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I don't think most people play a game to suck at it. I mean, I think most people want to be good. And that's just, you just by by definition have to pick one and stick with it. Like one or two. Any more than that, I think, is really impossible. And if you do pick one or two, there's a jillion other games that you're just not playing, straight up not playing. So that, to me, I'd rather play 20 games that I can finish then play one which i can get good at and i'm just never going to, you know there's no end point to it like and i'm never going to be uh good enough to compete at anything so to me i'd rather play the other things so yeah uh probably going to delete dreadnought i may give it one more world just because <laughs> uh but yeah i'm going to delete it so it sounds like you're going to delete it i think maybe that's the end of dreadnought for us sir probably i uh i played i have a confession to make brad are you ready oh my god i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready is it I, juicy? It's well, maybe, maybe a little bit, considering like the games you play and what you were just talking about a second ago. Um, I played uh, Overwatch for the second time in my life yesterday. Oh wow! Yesterday? <laughs> yeah. Do you I, tell. I know you weren't a big fan. What got what what got you to start it back up again? Well, here's how I play Overwatch. Uh, Patrick plays Overwatch a lot. He plays it like. A lot. He's all up in it. He plays it a lot. That's like the only game he plays. And I play Overwatch like if he has to like get up to pee and I'm like, oh, let me grab your controller. 
and I don't know how the fuck to play Overwatch. Like, I'm like, I'm generally very good at games, especially with shooters. I mean, good at like playing them, not necessarily good at them. But Overwatch, I have like no fucking clue what to do whenever I pick up a controller for that game. And and I'm totally like, like the fake gamer guy in the corner every time Patrick's playing because I watch him play a lot. And I'm still like, I picked up the controller because he he had to like he was like cooking something in the kitchen or like checking on something he was cooking. And so I played a couple matches. And the whole time I was like, hey, babe, what does this person do? What, what is their, what's their thing? What's their triangle thing? What is, uh, what's the L1 button do for this person? And I just like have no idea. And I'm like, oh, what is, uh, who is the Symmetra? Is that her name? What, what, what's her ultimate thing? Oh, where, oh, it's a teleporter. Uh, where, where should I put it? Oh, should I put it over here? And I'm so bad. And I, uh, I, although I did get a six kill streak with Zarya on a map whenever I was playing yesterday and I felt pretty good about that. But even though Patrick plays it all the time and I watch him play it all the time, I am not good at Overwatch. And I, I enjoy like the little tiny snippets I've played, but I don't see myself really getting into it. But I totally respect Overwatch for what it is and how it's had such a big like impact on gaming and on like cosplay and everything but oh my god i'm so like like if you watched me pick up a controller and play overwatch you would think that i had never played a video game ever in my entire life and this is the first (laughs) one that i've ever played in my life well see that's a perfect example of what we were just talking about i mean you said patrick plays overwatch all the time that's the only game he plays right yeah pretty much yeah, see, so to be good at Overwatch, or really any game like Overwatch, you have to play it, like, a lot. You have to practice. You have to really devote your time. And that means there's, like, a jillion other games that you're just never going to play because you're playing Overwatch, which is fine. I mean, it's not a criticism in any way. Um, it's just about how people want to spend their time. And for me, I'd rather have more experiences. I mean, even though I love Overwatch, I think it's really fun. I would rather have these other experiences than to just, just only have the Overwatch experience. But, yeah, you know... Um, you gotta just you gotta just get in. You gotta put in the time, and I think it's a great game, but uh, not one that I'm ever gonna be good at because I just don't want to put that much time in. And I, you know, I don't blame you at all. I mean, if you jump in Overwatch and you don't know what Overwatch is about, it's really confusing. It takes a while to get into it, and uh, it's become second nature to a lot of folks. But there's still uh, plenty of people out there who don't know shit about Overwatch, so don't feel bad. I appreciate your bravery in coming forward and, and <laughs> letting us get this peek into the the dark dark corners of your life, Corey. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. It's been an honor. The honor is mine, sir. The honor is mine. <laughs> um, let's move on really quickly. A couple of uh, fairly quick hits, and then we're going to get to a listener question, and then we shall wrap up the show. Uh, right now, I was actually planning on saying I was playing something that was under embargo, but I got special permission from the publisher to discuss it. This is a game that is still under embargo. Um, I think the embargo ends tomorrow or the day, actually the day after, I think, I think August 15th. So we're two days before the embargo right now. Uh, it's agents of mayhem, uh, put out by volition people famous for the saints row series. It will be released August 14th, uh, 2017 published by deep silver. It will be available on PC, Xbox one and PS four. Um, I are you a Saints Row fan, Corey? I am. I carry the unpopular opinion that the third game is the best and the second oh one is God. bad. Oh God! Oh God! Stop! Stop! Um, stop! But I like. I've played all of two, all of three, all of four, about half of one, 
And the third one is by far my favorite. Oh my God. Uh, just give me a moment. I got to collect my thoughts. I got to pull myself together. I just, I just don't know what to deal. I don't know how to do. I don't know. What, what can I say? I don't know. Corey. There, there's nothing that beats the thrill of jetting around on a street bike motorcycle in the third game, playing as my customized Russian gangster woman with hot pink hair and a tracksuit, listening to the amazing soundtrack that they had in the third game. It had the best electronic radio station out of any of the games. And just getting on that hot pink motorcycle, zooming across town, and then shooting dudes, that game is the best because the fourth one was way too often to La La Land. I like the fourth one, but it, whenever they added, it's basically like Crackdown, but Saints Row, it was like a little too far into La La Land. And the second one is too close to your stereotypical Grand Theft Auto bullshit, work your way up from the bottom, do the same stupid missions over and over again. And the third one just sits in that perfect space between them that makes me love it so much. Well, I'm not going to take away your love for that game, and I do, uh, I do admit that uh, riding the bikes is cool. The ra- the songs were cool, and I do, I do love Saints Row. I mean, I love it for many reasons, but one of the things I love most about Saints Row is the character customization, uh, and I do think that it was actually better in three than it was in four. I do give you that for sure. I think three is where it peaked. Um, I love the character customization in Saints Row Four. You can do so much stuff. I mean, any game that lets me put out like a really sexy like plus size woman and like I'll have kinds of like gear on her and stuff is really cool I love those games you do not get to do that nearly enough um so yes I love Saints Row um I think three honestly is the one I like the least in fact I think I kind of actively <laughs> hated it I did not like it at all oh, but I played one bit. which was just you know it was kind of like a like Grand Theft Auto knockoff played two had more of a sense of humor was a little bit more interesting Three, for me, was a downturn. And in fact, that was when the studio was having a lot of turmoil and trouble. I think the writing just never came together for me on that one. And that's really one of the things I like most about that game. If it didn't make me laugh, then I wasn't really enjoying myself. And then four is the one I like the best, where it just goes totally crazy, like you said. Like, you get Matrix powers, and it just goes, just goes off, just off into its <laughs> own direction. You can fly, you're basically invincible, like, all sorts of crazy shit happens. And plus, it's a real callback to the other games if you played Saints Row 1, 2, and 3. There are so many payoffs for, for series fans, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, but we're not talking about Saints Row, although we kind of are, because Agents of Mayhem... Oh, and, and let me just preface this, by the way. Uh, I, I must be clear in saying that anything I say tonight is in a preview sense only. This is not a review. This is not Final Thoughts. I have not played that far into the game. None of this. There will be no score announced or anything like that. This is just... <laughs> preview coverage i had to be very clear about this talking about ages of mayhem in a preview sense only okay now that's out of the way apparently it is connected to saints row somehow like initially people were thinking it was just that they had ended with saints row 4 and uh i'm not going to spoil it but you know at the end of saints Row 4 there really wasn't anywhere for them to go with that i mean i I have no idea what they would have done next so it seemed like they were taking a step back and just starting a brand new franchise which is fine uh, but no, I think actually Agents of Mayhem is actually somehow related to uh, Saints Row. I don't know how, but there's a lot of uh, very similar things, a lot of uh, hints, suggestions, and I have some information that at some point in the game it will be revealed how these two games connect. 
So that's a thing. I guess if you're a longtime Saints Row fan, you'll definitely want to check out this game because of that, if nothing else. But this is a bit of a departure from Saints Row. In some ways, it feels like a very different game. In some ways, it feels like it, it's a step back. So what this game is, again, open world, as you might expect from the Saints Row developers. Uh, you're in a very futuristic Seoul, South Korea. And this is way in the future. So like, there's like um, AI, there's high-tech cars, there's like weird technology, like future tech. So it's still Earth, but it's just, it's so far in the future that things are, you know, noticeably different. You play a team of, I don't know, super-powered folks. And this some of this was like, I didn't really know this until I started playing. Um, but you have like, I think maybe 12 or 15 characters altogether that eventually join your team. You have to unlock a bunch of them. But you start off with like three and then you unlock them as you go. These characters are actually so far they're like clones of overwatch characters which is really weird um as we were just discussing one of the things we both liked most about saints row was like having your own character and customizing it that is gone you do not make your own character in agents of mayhem and i missed it so much i was really looking forward to you know crafting some sexy lady and uh, yeah. making her a superhero or some real tough you know no nonsense chick and uh, that's not that's not possible everybody in saint and uh, saints row agents of mayhem is a specific pre established character uh the one there's one like latina woman who has two guns and she has like this little robot that goes with her she seems an awful lot like tracer some of her motions and the way that she talks and some of her, how she behaves in battle seems a lot like Tracer. You get um, a big uh, black guy who's got a harpoon. He acts an awful lot like Roadhog from uh, Overwatch. You get another guy who is just like this kind of like all-American cheeseball Hollywood guy. He reminds me an awful lot of uh, Soldier 76 from Overwatch. And I have not unlocked... Oh, actually, that's not true. I unlocked one more character who is a lady from India... And she is an archer. Totally reminds me of uh, Hanzo. So I don't know if that's intended. I mean, it must be intended because I think the similarities are too close to overlook. Uh, not carbon copies, but I'm playing this and I'm like, this feels like Overwatch if Overwatch had a story mode, which in one way is kind of cool. But again, it's not Overwatch. And this is a totally different game. So it feels maybe a little bit too close uh, for me. But I'm still early. We'll see how it goes. I don't know about the other characters, although looking at the cast pictures... I think it's pretty easy to draw some parallels between them and the rest of the Overwatch cast, but we shall see. Uh, after you get a couple uh, characters, you can pick a team of three. And this is the other thing that I didn't know about this game. You pick a team of three characters and you can rotate through them in real time anytime you want to. So you have your starting three characters, uh, the Hollywood guy, the Latina with two guns that looks like Tracer, and then the black guy with the harpoon. And they each have their little powers. You can switch through them on the right and left on the D-pad. So you get into one situation. Uh, when your character starts taking some hits, you got to swap them out and you just push right on the D-pad. The other one instantly like warps and trades places with them. So you can swap back and forth between characters at any time. And I guess it eventually becomes about picking which team of three you like the best. They've all got um, upgrades and skill trees. And then they each do um, some like loyalty missions that you might find in... Um, Mass Effect or something like that. It seems okay so far. Um, and again, just preview sense here. I haven't played very far. Uh, but it seems like a step back in that your character in Saints Row 4 was so powerful once you had unlocked some of the powers. Like, to take those away feels kind of, like, boring because I, I want to, like, fly over the city and you can't fly. 
or I want to like leap up the entire length of a building and just get to the roof. And you can't do that. Like you are constrained to the ground. Like you actually have to hijack cars again. Like you didn't have to do that in Saints Row 4. You could just run at the speed of light or you could fly or you could jump like the Hulk and just get somewhere. And that was really fun. It was really fun to be so empowered and to play a game, which you are not that empowered feels bizarre. It feels weird. Like I kept feeling so limited. I'm like, why am I, Oh, I got to run on the ground. Oh, I got to, I got to find a car to hijack. I go, Oh, this feels weird. Like it just seems like a step back. I mean, I get why they did it because I honestly don't know what they would have done after Saints Row 4. Like, how do you keep upping that bar? I don't know, but it felt feels weird. Um, I'm still kind of getting used to it. Also, I was a little sad to see that the tutorial is not super great. There's a lot of things that they kind of assume the player already knows, which was kind of okay for me because I do have experience with the series, but I think they could have done a better job on the tutorial. And the city, once you're loose in the city, it feels just like generic open world shit again, which is kind of disappointing. Um, it feels more of a shooter than Saints Row did. I noticed I actually got killed a couple times and I was surprised because... I don't remember ever dying that much in Saints Row unless it was like a really like, you know, like a boss mission or something like that. But in this one, you really have to like take cover. Like you have to be more careful with your shooting because your shields uh, disappear really quickly. And then it starts chipping away your health bar and your health bar disappears really quickly. And I died like multiple times because I was being way too aggressive. And uh, once I figured out like you have to be uh, a lot more cautious than I was being, it got better. But that kind of surprised me a little bit too. It feels much, much more like a shooter and there's a lot of shooting to be done. So I'm a little bit concerned that it's going to be just a lot of shooting in an open world, which is not going to be too interesting. Uh, I mean, for example, when I went to go do the loyalty mission uh, for the chick that reminds me of Tracer, it was like a couple lines of dialogue and just like shooting a billion robots. And it was really boring. Like there was nothing really interesting about it. Um, so that was kind of a turnoff. Hopefully the rest of them will not be like that. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I like I said, I don't want to... This is not a final thoughts. This is not a review. This is preview only. But so far, I think part of my difficulty is that I'm so familiar with Saints Row that it feels different than what I was expecting. So that's on me. That is my fault. I need to come to this game with just open open arms and just to, to accept what it is. So that's my issue. But at the same time, um, it is kind of hitting those generic like open world targets of like, uh, you know, taking away the funny stuff and the stuff. I mean, it's funny. It is funny. It's not, not like there's nothing funny, but, um, just kind of making it more like the generic open world game that you might expect, uh, which is not really what I'm down for. So hopefully things will pick up and it'll get crazy and it'll get fun. And the characters will, will, will be memorable as the Saints Row crew was. Um, so kind of mixed on it right now, kind of mixed, but I've got a lot of game left. I mean, there's tons of game left plenty of time for it to open up and develop. And, um, hopefully the, the early days are just a brief taste of what it has to offer. So, um, what do you think, Corey, are you interested in agents of mayhem? You want to get into this? Um, I'm definitely interested in it because I liked the sensor games enough to want to play more stuff that's by volition. Um, but I think the thing that I find the most interesting about this game is the fact that like, I mean, it seems kind of like, much like from your perspective, like, I don't know anything about this game. I mean, the Saints Row games were always really high profile, AAA, like you, they had a lot of advertisements. I remember seeing a lot about them because Saints Row 4 is the game that had that 
ridiculous fake advertisement where you could buy like the million dollar edition of the game and they would like send you to space or something like because they're like volition is all about like doing this like balls to the wall like silly marketing silly pr to kind of like get its name out there and not to be taken too seriously but with agents of mayhem like first of all i didn't even realize this game was even a game until you talked about it like a month ago or something like that and like i i just don't i haven't heard anything about this game like i haven't seen any ads for it i haven't seen anybody talking about it on social media and i i feel like that in and of itself kind of I mean, maybe they're not putting a lot of money in marketing. Maybe Deep Silver isn't interested in marketing it, or maybe they're going to start marketing it like right whenever it comes out. But I just like don't, I don't, I haven't heard anything about this game. I don't know anything about it. Like you'd think that for Volition and Deep Silver to be launching their first major franchise since the Saints Row games. And I mean, Saints Row was pretty successful. Um, You know, people know what that game is. They know they like it. It's a, I mean, I would consider that a successful franchise. You would just think that they would want to get more word out about this game. Like, am, am I wrong or am I right here? No, I, I think I agree. And I think you actually ha- you bring up a really good point because um, I mean, I think you and I are probably as plugged into the game industry as it's possible to be. And I knew almost nothing about this game. Like I was surprised by a number of things and it's not because I was avoiding spoilers. It was just like, there's just not a lot of information out there. No one was talking about it. No one, you know, PR wasn't really sending me a lot of stuff on it. I didn't really know. I, you know, the videos just kind of showed the same couple of characters over and over. You couldn't really get a good sense for what it was about. And, you know, knowing that it was from Volition, you kind of could assume it was like Saints Row, but that's all you could assume. You didn't really know any specifics. So it plays differently than what I was expecting on multiple levels. It feels different. And um, maybe this is just me, but it feels a lot lower budget. I don't, I mean, Saints Row, I think, was a very successful franchise. I know that Saints Row 3 had trouble... Um, not, not talking about whether you like it or not, but I think just from a production standpoint, they had lost a number of staff. They were switching studios. I think that, uh, funding had gotten cut because they were in the middle of, uh, their studio gotten bought by somebody else. So, I mean, but when they, they came around to Saints Row 4, like I felt like they were back in their stride and things were strong. And that is a very successful franchise. I think a lot of people love the Saints Row franchise for sure. I would say it is definitely in the win column. Um, this one, Agents of Mayhem, it feels strangely um like low budget in a way and i don't i don't i I don't want to make any judgments like i'm too early to really say either way but it's weird because when i started the game the game begins with like a really kind of shitty looking um hand-drawn animation for the opening cutscene rather than something really cool and explosive and and bombastic and i'm like huh this looks like flash animation that's really not great and the art (laughs) is not great so i'm like whatever um and then you go and you play the game. The game looks fine as you're playing it. It looks it looks okay. I mean, it doesn't look outstanding. It looks pretty, I don't know, standard. I mean, it looks kind of like Saints Row would look, except just maybe not quite as fancy. Um, I just, I don't know. I, just, I guess I expected it to look a little bit um, different, which is kind of an unfair statement to make because a lot of the abilities that the characters have are really over the top, like uh, explosions going on lots of stuff on screen so i think there's a lot of visual noise but i think overall like it doesn't like when you're just walking around the city or something it looks kind of drab like it doesn't look that great and then uh you know a lot of the voices uh, come in but there's no cutscene to go along with the voices or when the cutscenes do come in they're animated again with that same crappy flash style huh. and i'm like what is going on with this game like it seems like kind of low budget which is weird because this should be a huge game but that, in combine in combination with what you said about you know the lack of PR, 
like zero buzz on Twitter or any of the usual social media circles. Um, this game is coming out this week and there's been like no advertisements for it. There's been no talk. I haven't heard any buzz. I mean, if for a game that's releasing in like two days, you would think they want to get the word out. And um, it's a little bit concerning. So, I mean, it's not bad so far at all. It's not bad. Um, and I got to I got to put some more time into it. I plan on hitting it pretty hard this week. I will not have a review ready on release day, but, you know, pretty soon afterwards, unless it's a huge game. But so far, uh, I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. It just kind of seems like maybe another generic open world game that they, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It's just got a weird feel. I got to put some more time into it, but does not seem like the immediate kind of instant win that I was kind of expecting from these guys. But, you know, I could be totally wrong. By the time we talk about this game again next week, maybe my tune will have completely changed. Uh, it's very, very, very early right now, so I don't want to overspeak myself. But yeah, it's it's. I guess I got like a little question mark above my head right now. <laughs> well, we shall find out. Uh, we shall find out. One more game to talk about really quickly, and then we shall move on to listener question. Uh, Monster Hunter Stories. Corey, you're not a Monster Hunter guy, are you? I am not. Have you ever played any of them? Never. Okay. Um, I don't know if this would be your thing, but if if you were even remotely interested, it might not be a bad one. Uh, the demo for Monster Hunter Stories uh, just came out, I think, last week. Uh, thanks to uh, the gay gamer on Twitter who told me about it. Good guy. Uh, and I, I immediately ran to my 3DS and downloaded <laughs> this thing. I'm super, super psyched. I mean, uh, longtime listeners uh, of the show will know and people who caught me on the Game Critics show or who follow me know I'm a big Monster Hunter fan. Although I've kind of fallen away from the series recently, uh, still a fan to the core, will always be a fan, and I've been super stoked about this because this is not traditional Monster Hunter at all. What this is, it is a JRPG, and Monster Hunter is not a JRPG. It's a JRPG which takes the world and the monsters and the elements from the Monster Hunter series, which is a hunting game, and makes them in a very uh, kid-friendly extremely cute art style, really straightforward and simple JRPG where you, instead of hunting the monsters, you make friends with the monsters. You can ride them. They join you in battle and you collect them. Um, not like Pokemon, but you have to like go and you find these eggs and bring them back and hatch them. And then you have a team of like five monsters with you uh, and you go along and it's just so cute and fun and appropriate for kids and it's just warm, and everything about it is just so fucking adorable. It's painful. <laughs> um, I haven't played it very much, but this demo is huge. You can play the demo for, I think, a couple hours, and the data will transfer if you buy the actual game, so it's not wasted time. But the game starts out, you're a little kid, you find a little uh, monster to go with you, a little dragon, you have some adventure, story happens, uh, everything is pretty safe, nothing is too scary or bloody. It's, it's very kid-friendly. Uh, and then you get your own team, you collect some monster eggs, you hatch the eggs, build up your team of different dudes, you go to combat, combat is turn-based, and people who have played the series will recognize, I mean, every single thing about this game is a callback to the actual Monster Hunter series, which is awesome. It has, like, the same audio effects, a lot of the same monsters, but they've been redrawn to be kind of, like, smaller and cuter and kind of, like, chibi style in some ways, which is really cool, um... A lot of the enemies that you kill in, in those games are now your friends, and so that's kind of a neat little twist. Uh, and the, the d design of itself is very nice. It's very clean, very straightforward. Uh, the maps are easy to read, so it's very simple and approachable. would be very appropriate for kids, but it looks neat enough and interesting enough that uh, grown-ups 
and especially fans of the actual core series of Monster Hunter would find a lot to like. Uh, but I don't think you need any of that experience. You can just jump into it if you're not a Monster Hunter fan and just play this for what it is. I think it seems like a real winner so far. It seems like a very fun, very cute, very solid, very interesting game. I'm dying to play this. And uh, my wife has been glued to it since she downloaded the demo. She's also a hardcore Monster Hunter fan. Uh, so she has like some baseline interest already. But when she started playing this, she took to it immediately. She was like, oh, my God. You can go to the weapon shop and get weapons. You can upgrade stuff. You find materials just like you do in the main game. But it's all changed and more approachable to be a very nice, easy, uh, kind of breezy uh, JRPG, which is just, again, so adorable. The art style is amazing. It is so well done. Um, Capcom, I think, has some of the best artists in the industry, and they are just they are pouring it all in on this game. It just looks so fucking cute. I just can't. I got cavities <laughs> after I played it. Oh my so God. cute. Um, I love it. I haven't played very much, but the demo is up. I'm going to be playing more of the demo this week, and I am definitely looking forward. It's going to be coming out on September 8th, which is not too far away, which is perfect. And I'm just going to eat this up with a spoon and some whipped cream and a cherry on top. It seems just like amazing. Um, any interest, Corey? Do you think you might uh, check this out? You don't do a lot of JRPG, do you? I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like 100% opposed to JRPGs, but. I literally, let me think about this for a second. I literally think the last time I played a JRPG was probably Final Fantasy VIII, and I did not finish it. Um, I mean, I've dabbled a tiny bit here and there, but the fact that this is on 3DS and that it has a demo makes me interested in playing it because Patrick has a 3DS XL, and I think the 3DS is such an interesting little, like, contraption like a little interesting handheld like you can't get the kind of experiences other places sometimes you can get on the 3ds and i mean i wouldn't say i'm like itching to play his 3ds all the time but he like rarely uses it and it's always just like on the bookshelf in the living room and i played um like i played resident evil revelations when it came out to 3ds because uh, it was 3ds exclusive for a long time i played all of that on the 3ds and i i enjoyed it i thought it was nice uh to play. So now that I know that it's on the 3DS, maybe I'll download the demo and just give it a shot because I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of uh, of a JRPG, although I can't say I'd probably uh, really dive into it. But I'm always looking for a new little use to use the 3DS with. I haven't played his 3DS in a really long time, so maybe I'll download the demo and see what it's like. I would highly recommend it. I think it's very smart in terms of design. I think it's very approachable. Um, it seems very, like, lightweight, but in a good way. Like, it doesn't seem, like, really hardcore... Uh, and you don't need to know anything about the Monster Hunter series. You can just jump in. It's very self-explanatory, uh, very welcoming. Just try the demo. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Also, any listeners out there, if you're a Monster Hunter fan, you have to play this because you will think it's amazing. If you're not a Monster Hunter fan but you've been curious, this is a really nice introduction to the world. It is nothing like the main game at all, but it's very cute, uh, very fun. I just, I'm really, I'm digging it. I'm, uh, I started out the year without a lot of things on my uh, favorites list. And now that the year is uh, getting close, closer to past the halfway point, or we are past the halfway point, but closer to the end of the year, a lot of really good stuff is cropping up. So I'm really happy to see that we're getting a lot of really awesome things. And this, I think, looks like a total winner. I'd be very surprised if this did not become uh, an amazing game when it drops. So check it out. Demo's on 3DS right now. Corey, you check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, if nothing else, I know you'll think it's cute. It is so fucking adorable. <laughs> I love the way it looks. So cute. Um, and that's all I have to say on that. I'll play more. We'll talk about it 
later for sure. Probably after the full release drops, unless you want to do a check-in. Um, but uh, we will definitely be talking more about Monster Hunter stories. Um, okay, so those are all the games we are discussing this week. Um, before we wrap, I do have to apologize to Jay Burtwell. He sent in a question a couple of weeks ago, and I totally forgot to include it in the last show. I am so sorry. I had it on the notes, and then I got busy, and I got distracted. It's on me. I am fully culpable for that omission. Jay Burtwell, <laughs> I am so sorry. Uh, apologies that we made you wait so long, but we are fixing that right now. And again, thank you for sending in that question. Really appreciate it. Uh, Jay Burtwell says, sort of a rambling question. The first console that I can remember was an orange Atari Pong with twisty dials and in monochrome. I soon moved on to River Raid on the Atari with fake wooden sides, which would be the 2600. My three-year-old daughter's first console game was Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U. She just holds down A and I drive. <laughs> that was just really adorable. Uh, my first handheld was a Space Invader game where LEDs lit up my missiles behind a red screen. Oh, I remember those. Those were shitty. And my daughter's first handheld was an Amazon Fire running Angry Birds. So, what was your first console game, and what was your first handheld game when you were young? Corey, why don't you go first? Okay, I actually had to think about this for a second, because I... I, I remember having an Atari 2600 whenever I was really, really young... And I think that I have, like, an answer that I'm pretty sure about, and then I have, like, a backup answer because my memory might fail me on this. So my primary answer is that my first console was an Atari 2600 because I remember that being in the house. I remember having the joystick with the orange button in the corner, and I'm pretty sure that Centipede was the first game I remember playing. But my backup answer that I'm absolutely sure I remember playing whenever I was young was Castlevania II Simon's Quest on the Nintendo NES. But I'm pretty sure it was Centipede on the Atari. Like, pretty, pretty positive about that. Excellent, excellent. And what about your uh, handheld? Uh, handheld without a doubt was the original Game Boy, the giant gray one with the little blue screen overlay that had no backlighting, had none of that business. Um, I always uh, was buying those little like clip on lights so I could play it in the back of my dad's truck while we were like driving places. And I believe the first game I played on the Game Boy was Tetris. Good old Tetris. Excellent. Excellent. Um, my first console at home was the Atari 2600 first played it at a neighbor's house and thought it was cool. And then we got one at our house. That was the one with the wooden sides, which is weird when you think about it now. Um, wood veneer on a console. How bizarre is that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the first game I played was the pack-in, which was combat. Um, remember playing that quite a bit. Uh, along with some other ones. And my first handheld game probably was the original Game Boy, like you said, the chunky brick one that just had, like, the yellowish screen and the... Um, there weren't even, like, LEDs, were they? Or what what would, you, what would you even call those little things? Were they LEDs? No, no it didn't. The Game Boy did not incorporate a backlit screen until the Game Boy Advance SP, I think. Yeah, what would you even call that screen? Like, it was just, like, this kind of monochrome yellowish and, like, everything was, like, a gray... I don't even know what you how you even call that, but yeah, it was like the the first, the very very first Game Boy, <laughs> and that was Tetris, which was also the pack-in um, at that time. And, and for those who don't know, a pack-in is when a developer or a publisher is selling, uh, you know, hardware manufacturer is selling you a console actually gave you a game for free. 
They don't really do that anymore, but back in the day, that was expected. Sometimes you would get two or three games packed in. At least one, because people would want to know that when you got this box home, you could play something. So I guess we've gotten away from that. But uh, yeah, pack-ins back in the day, those were good times. But Tetris and Combat. So there you go, Jay Burtwell. Hopefully we answered your question. Once again, apologies for making you wait so long. Sorry about that. We will do better <laughs> next time, I promise. Uh, and that is the end of our games talk and the end of the show. Before we go, we would like to remind you, you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to send it to us. So video games podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a collective show at so video games, but you can also reach us individually. Corey, what is your Twitter handle, sir? My Twitter handle is my first and last name. It is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And no no periods, no nothing. Brad, have I... Segue, uh, tangent. Have I ever told you the story about how there's another Corey Motley in the world and I get their emails sometimes? I think you might have mentioned it, but nothing nothing really in depth. Do they get some really cool or interesting or weird kinky email or anything? Uh, not really. I believe there is a female Corey Motley that lives in Washington state. So not far away from you. And she, um, her email address, it went, maybe I shouldn't say it. I will just say, maybe don't say it, but yeah, (laughs) I will just say that there is the only thing that separates my email address from her email address is one punctuation mark. And allegedly Google does not differentiate that i haven't looked into this recently but the last time i looked into it um google did not differentiate those email addresses so i get she uses lyft all the time like the like uber's rival lyft and i get her lyft uh ride receipts all the fucking time in my email box (laughs) and it's so ridiculous well think about this though what is she getting from you though like what stuff is she ending up with like like, what kind of email do you get sir probably like all the porn that i'm subscribed to (laughs) that no you know it's probably happening i'm probably getting all my porn and she's probably getting like job emails for like people requesting interviews and stuff and i never see those emails so i'm sure i'm like applying to all these jobs and she's like getting you know the recruiters being like oh would you like to schedule an interview and then she just deletes them and that's why i don't have a job right now that's that's my uh that's my story and i'm gonna stick to it oh my god that would be so sad like all these dudes are like totally trying to hire you and she's just like delete delete spam folder uh what is all this crap like fuck that cory motley fuck fuck other cory indeed but long story short my twitter handle is cory motley no no punctuation in there at all just c-o-r-e-y-m-o-t-l-e-y excellent and my twitter handle is my name b-r-a-d-g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y all a's no o's not a single o in my name (laughs) and because people put it in people put in all the time they put in an o and it just it doesn't work doesn't work for me doesn't work for twitter (laughs) no o's no o's and that is going to be the end of another so video games we will see you next week but in the meantime thank you for listening and this is bye from brad and bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. 